This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are super stoked for the NHL season to have started. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, to break down everything that's gone on in the past four days, it's the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. And it's so exciting for you to say everything that's gone on in the past four days, which has been, by and large, nothing in terms of fantasy hockey for the last 10 months, and here we are with four meaty days to reflect upon and make any tweaks to our preseason rankings necessary uh, and like adjustment, adjust our strategies and figure out exactly what to do with all this new and fresh data that we have to play with and understand. Let's get to it. Yeah, I'm really stoked for this episode. This is the point of the season where it's like, what things do we need to change and which things do we need to just be patient and assume, you know, just because Anthony Mantha hasn't gotten as many points as we hoped for in two games, we had a question of like, should I drop him? You know, so we're going to try to help you through this, let you know which players we think actually are snoozers and it's time to just move on right away and which players you just assume that everything's going to get back to normal. Uh, super stoked. But like I said, okay, we got a few things to get to before we get started. First of all, we are presented by DauberHockey.com, proudly so. Great articles every day. Plus, Frozen Tools on Dauber Hockey is like, that's like the best site, frozentools.dauberhockey.com. I go there every day to like, you know, check out the line combinations and look at player profiles, like prepping the show. It's it's amazing. Eric Douse is doing just phenomenal work, especially like the mid-game, like real-time line combinations are so useful. Like there was a Calgary game yesterday and I saw that Mark Giordano had more power play time than Rasmus Anderson. I was like, oh, what's this? So then I looked at the line combinations and you, got, you get to see real, real-time like what's going on. By the end, by the way, Rasmus Anderson got back on the top power play and even got a power play assist. So nothing to worry about there. Anyway, DauberHockey.com, Frozen Tools, great stuff. Uh, another announcement we have Brian is uh, super exciting. We are on a new podcast network for this season of Keeping Carlson and hopefully the remaining seasons of Keeping Carlson. We are very proud to say that we are being hosted by Blue Wire, this really cool network with a lot of amazing podcasts. And uh, Brian, what does this mean for the listeners? It means absolutely nothing, except for that music you heard at the start. That's our new theme song. 
Uh, I hope you all liked it done by the incredible Pat Roach. But yeah, nothing changes for you, the listener. Everything stays exactly the way it is under the hood for us. It just means that we get to join this amazing Blue Wire network family with other great hockey podcasts like Puck Bunnies, Dimitri Filipovich's Hockey PDO cast, Staff and Graph, Burn It All Down. Uh, so we're really excited to be with Blue Wire and to be here doing this still for you. Again, nothing changes for you except the theme music at the beginning. Uh, you don't need to unsubscribe or subscribe or do anything different all the keeping carlson goodness is still just going to come straight to you the way it always has yeah uh so super excited thanks to blue wire for taking us on we'll try to uh, make you proud okay next up uh we have some podcasts that have been coming out on our keeping carlson network if you've been subscribed to the podcast you already heard the two first short shifts episodes of the season right on our podcast feed by ben and lewis they did a phenomenal job so you got to make sure you're subscribed to our podcast feed to get all the midweek episodes where they break down everything that brian and i you know can't get to in the middle of the week little bite-sized tidbits of everything going on also just today dave Benton dropped the season first stream scheme episode i love the stream scheme he does like a 30 minute show where he looks at the schedule for the following week and discusses you know which players have a good schedule and bad schedule who you should be adding and dropping to maximize those points in your head-to-head leagues so you can check that out it's in the show notes but also keeping carlson.com slash stream scheme was a really great show but brian with that let's get to our show because we've got a lot to talk about like we said there's only been four or five days of nhl action right now we're in the middle of day five florida is playing chicago uh, and we'll talk maybe about them in a little bit we'll let some time pass so that this game can go a little further it's about one period in uh i can't believe i'm saying this but what the heck let's start this season of keeping carlson in freaking arizona where the coyotes have scored eight goals in their first two games of the year versus martin jones and the sharks and we've got like a lot of potentially fantasy relevant players in arizona which maybe weren't drafted in a lot of leagues and i want to get your takes on them there's five players on this coyotes team that have three points in those first two games three forwards and two defensemen so the forwards are first of all phil kessel three goals including one on the power play on his line with dvorak and kajula Interestingly, uh, Kessel's power play unit with Keller, Hayton, Tyler, Pitlick, and OEL saw less time in the first two games than the Broussard, Dvorak, Garland, Schmaltz, Chikrin units. I don't know what uh, Arizona is doing there, but I guess it worked. They won their last game, and but whatever, right? And Kessel did score a power play goal in the big 5-3 win on Saturday. The, the thing that concerns me, though, because I know a lot of people think, oh, wow, is Phil Kessel back? He wasn't even drafted in my league. I could go grab me his three goals in two games. But he only has five shots on goal, and I'd imagine a 60% shooting percentage isn't sustainable. So I'm curious, Brian, if Phil Kessel was available in one of your leagues, is it like obviously go grab him because this is a former point-per-game-plus guy that's now hot again? Or is it like, come on, there's no way this keeps up? I wish it were obvious, Elon. Phil Kessel is now a mystery in Arizona after last year's hugely disappointing season, after coming from a Pittsburgh team where we knew he had some goods. We just didn't know what else he needed around him. But three goals on five shots is a fantastic start. Like you said, uh, that's really, of course, like, I don't need to even say that's not a sustainable shooting percentage. There's no way Phil Kessel is going to score three times on every five shots he takes. Uh, but I did notice also at the same time, like if I'm trying to temper my excitement about Kessel, is that he is down 60 seconds a night in five on five ice time compared to last year. So that piece of it is a little concerning. Of course, I'm looking to Phil Kessel as somebody who does have a high ceiling. And we had some talk in our Discord server today about how he's, you know, quote unquote, best shape of his life. And he's changed certain things about the way he plays and someone who watched both those Arizona games said he looks faster, and that's great. I hope it's all true. I'm not ready to buy in on him just yet. And I'll throw out another reason that's going to apply to all these Coyotes, 
is that uh, they played San Jose twice to start the season, right? Uh, like scoring on Martin Jones is like not a huge deal. I I don't want to put like, I don't want to take away from what the Coyotes forwards have achieved. No, but of course they're going to be playing like uh, like harder teams coming up. Elon, do you know their schedule next week? I think it's all Vegas. Yeah, it's they're going to play Vegas on Monday. Then they're going to play Vegas on Wednesday. On Friday, they'll play Vegas. And they'll finish off the week playing Vegas on Sunday. <laughs> so Arizona's going from playing the team San Jose, ranked dead last in five-on-five defense and the eighth worst five-on-five save percentage, to the team ranked fifth in defense with a tandem that should be one of the best in the league with Robin Lehner, who I think is a top goalie in the league, if not the best goalie in the league. Of course, there's a universe where San Jose ranks so badly because, you know, they just got ripped apart by this new Coyotes team that's a legit offensive dynamo, but I think that's the less likely explanation then San Jose just kind of being weak and Arizona being able to take advantage. So if you're asking about streaming Kessel in for next week, man, I I can't really recommend it. But if you're looking longer term and he fell off somebody's roster or went undrafted, he's at least got to go on your watch list. Yeah, definitely a watch list guy, but I agree with you. I feel like this would be a good sell-high time on Phil Kessel yeah. if you have him in your league. Okay, the other two forwards that have three points in these two games, Clayton Keller, two goals and an assist, seven shots on goal. So I like that better than Kessel's five. He's been playing with Pitlick and Brassard. Did you know Brassard was on Arizona, by the way? Okay, so yeah. t- T-I-L. Uh, so anyways, good results for Keller, even on a weird line. And then you have Connor Garland, who has a power play goal and two assists, playing with Nick Schmaltz and Barrett Hayton. Connor Garland, nine shots on goal in those two games. I'm liking that even more. He actually leads the team in shots after these two games. And Garland has been seeing on average around 18 minutes of ice time. Remember last year, the guy who, he couldn't get ice time to save his life, right? Like, it was like, he was seemed to be doing well in the time he got, but he always kept on getting his minutes cut. So if Garland could keep this up, uh, I'm pretty into him. So yeah, are all of these forwards i guess you're saying no i was gonna ask are there all these forwards must own in most formats going into a four game week next week but i guess versus vegas maybe not i'm curious how would you rank if like all three are somehow in free agency in some leagues kessel keller garland how would you rank them in terms of who you would want to add to your team Sure. Yeah, I'll get to that in a sec. I just want to say, like, in terms of whether these players are must owns, if they're available in free agency and someone makes a play for them, I bet after four games against Vegas, they're going to end up back in free agency, uh, like someone's going to grow impatient with them. So I don't feel like there's a big sense of urgency. But Keller and Garland are both definitely interesting. And depending on the depth of your league might still be worth grabbing for this four game week against Vegas. And I'll start with Clayton Keller, who you know, we talked about how scoring on Martin Jones is no big deal, but getting seven shots on goal is is pretty good. That's more than Phil Kessel had. uh, And that's great for Keller because his shot rates have been more or less stagnant since he came into the league at about two and a half shots per game. Now with seeing another 90 seconds of time on ice in all situations so far over his first couple games, there is opportunity for him to bump those shot rates up, which hopefully will eventually lead to him starting to score goals the way we hoped he would when he came into the league. And then Car- Connor Garland, similar story. He's getting to shoot more because he's playing more, uh, almost a four-minute improvement over all situations of time on ice over last season so far. And like most of that, or almost all of it, coming on the power play. So Keller and Garland in good spots, getting better deployment than last year, and taking shots, which is something, honestly, at this point of the season, I'm more interested in seeing guys with high shot counts than high goal counts. Okay, so if you were going to rank them, I'll give you my ranking. I would go Keller, Garland, Kessel for the forwards. Okay, yeah, I was going to go Keller first, so we agree there. And then I was going to put Kessel 
second just because that upside is there and like if he has really has i'm gonna have to watch a little more arizona hockey i guess to find out if he passes the eye test if he looks better than he did last year that way uh but i'm i'm open to the higher upside i would say maybe garland feels like a guy who has a more certain floor but does he really like i so i I like kessel over garland except of course those extra shots on goal are, are really nice if he does continue to almost double phil kessel's shot pace yeah, if you were to tell me that Garland's going to continue to get the same ice time as he got in these first two games, I'd say Garland over Kessel for sure. But obviously, he's maybe a bigger risk to get dropped down the lineup, though. Kessel also, right? Like, Kessel got bad deployments as the season went on. So I- I'm going to stick with my pick, but maybe it's close. Okay, then there's also two defensemen who have three points in these two games. We have Oliver ekman Larson, three assists, including a power play assist on Kessel's goal yesterday. He exited Saturday's game, uh, though, late in the game. I haven't seen an update yet, so maybe uh, pause the podcast and check Roto World and see if any news has come out about Oliver ekman Larson. Uh, then we have Jacob Chikrin. Yeah, there goal- has been news. Oh, oh, please tell me. Uh, he is placed on IR retroactive to Saturday the 16th, which means he's out for at least a week. Oh, damn. So in that case, even more highlights to Jacob Chikrin, who has a goal and two assists in these first two games. Eight shots on goal for a defenseman, along with three hits and one block. He was already seeing over 50% of the power play time, like I was saying. Like, Arizona wasn't doing what we'd expect. If OEL misses time, which now we're seeing he will, at least for this week, that's definitely not going to change. Chikrin's going to be seeing well over 50% of the power play time. Brian, I got him late in last week's couple tier one auction draft for $3, and I'm loving it so far. He's been amazing. Like, are we on the precipice, like, taking my bias aside because I have him on my cupful team, are we on the precipice of the breakout Chikrin season that we've been waiting for for the past couple of years? Like, all of these shots on goal, they remind me a lot of what we were getting excited about Shea Theodore a couple years ago, where, like, we knew he'd be good, then all of a sudden he started shooting and shooting, and was like, oh man, I think Shea Theodore is going to become, like, a really elite fantasy asset, and now here we are, well, now it's a little bit confusing with Petrangelo in the picture, but, like, Chikrin really just seems to me like a guy that could be like I said, ready to have a breakout season like this season. Again, though, like you said, it's been two games against San Jose, so I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of yeah. myself. But he's only 20% rostered on Yahoo. I can't see how you can let Chikrin stay in free agency at this point, especially with OEL injured. Like, that's 80% clown league at this point. Like, grab Jacob Chikrin for sure. <laughs> especially with OEL out. Yeah, I was going to hem and haw a little but before we heard the OEL news about, well, you know, Chikrin doesn't really have many peripherals. Like, these shots are great. But when he came into the league, as a rookie, which, by the way, was four seasons ago. Shikrin is only 22. He's entering his fifth NHL season, which is fantastic that he's both young and has so much experience under his belt, which hopefully does equal some part of the breakout equation. But yeah, when he came into the league, he was blocking and hitting more than he has been over the last few years. But if he's on the top power play and firing away with shots, I care less about those blocks and hits coming. So like, we definitely had Jacob Schrickren marked for breakout potential before the season. I'm glad you're excited, Elon, and you definitely should be. I'm not sure I've seen anything new from the last two games to get me any more excited than I already was. But of course, having this uh, opportunity on the top power play is really big. We actually thought going into the season that he was a candidate to just start the year on the top unit in Arizona. And it was, wasn't was a surprise to see Ekman Larson there, but I guess he was going to well, get another he, chance. He wasn't really, right? Like, Chikrin was on the top power play in terms of the one that got more ice time, even though it's yeah. not the one with the best players in our opinion, but he technically has been on the top power play. Sure, yeah, but... The reason that one unit gets more time than another unit in like a one or two game sample could just come down to a line change opportunity, right? Like if you 
have hemmed the other team into their zone while you're on the power play, you're not going to send your team off for a change, right? And give up that offensive opportunity. Small sample size, yeah. Yeah, so like I'm not reading into the minutes in terms of who was on power play one and power play two. To me, Jacob Shikram was clearly on power play two. Now he's going to be on power play one. And I agree, Elon, he is a must own. Let's see where he goes from here. And of course, we still don't know exactly like we know Ekman Larson can't come back for at least a week, but we have no idea if the prognosis is going to take him beyond that. Yeah, and I think either way get him like you're saying that you haven't seen anything to change your perspective of him like before which was the- very positive just to be clear like right. we were already excited about him I- i'm not any more excited but i'm still excited <laughs> oh these eight shots to me just I- i'm a shot guy <laughs> I- shots get me excited uh okay so next up let's continue the theme of teams that were supposed to be boring for fantasy but have been anything but let's go to minnesota and la who have had two uh, super exciting games to start the year against each other where in both games the wild tied the score three three late in the third and then one in over time. Kirill Kaprizov has been exactly as advertised so far. He got the OT winner on Thursday along with two assists, added another assist yesterday on Marcus Johansson's overtime goal. So a clutch guy here, Kirill Kaprizov right off the bat. He's been playing on a line with Victor Rask and Zach Parisi, or at least that was his line on Saturday, playing over 19 minutes a game. Doesn't seem like there's going to be any like KHL to NHL adjustment for Kaprizov. You know, Gusev last year needed some time to adjust to playing in the NHL. Doesn't seem like that's happening for Kaprizov. He's already like ready to go and already producing. The patrons projected Kirill Kaprizov for a 57-point pace when we did our crowdsource projections. That's for sure too low, right? Like, it feels like we're looking at a Panarin-like rookie season of, like, around a 70-point pace or more. After watching some of the wild games so far, there's no way you can argue that Kaprizov is Kirill in it. I watched that overtime goal against LA a bunch of times, not for the goal itself, though, but just for the read that Kaprizov had to intercept the drop pass I think it was by Jeff Carter towards Drew Doughty, who then like threw his whole body diving towards Kaprizov and Kaprizov just like calmly zigs around him, which was like a really lovely play. The goal itself wasn't so pretty and maybe kind of questionable with the skate movement, but the way he created it was amazing. And that's the sort of play that's caught my eyes. I like your Shikrin to Theodore comparison. Elon is like, that was going to be your most hyperbolic one of the season. Uh, it still is, actually, because I would say Kaprizov to Panarin is maybe a, a closer comparison. And if Kaprizov was in Panarin's rookie situation, uh, like that Panarin had in Chicago playing with Patrick Kane, I could definitely see Kaprizov putting up the same 79-point pace that Panarin did. But I still truly wonder how much room Kaprizov is going to have to work uh, like his magic against tougher teams than the Los Angeles Kings and still without a centerman. This isn't a question his skill level, it's just a question his situation. But yeah, 57 definitely looks on the conservative side for Kaprizov right now. Uh, You're right in that watching him, he looks as ready as Panarin did to have an immediate impact. And uh, it goes without saying that he's a must roster if he is somehow, somehow, somehow available in your league. Yeah. Hey, he's playing with Victor Rask as his center. Apparently he had a really good camp and he earned his way onto the top line. We'll see. I think that Minnesota is just going to try all the centers because I think they started having him with Bjugstad and he's already been bumped for Victor Rask. So we'll see what happens in the next game. Who else had a good camp? Was it Carter Hutton? Did he? Well, I yeah, mean, that's the reason he started the first game. That was I the, don't know. the reason given by the coach. He had a great camp. He earned the job. He looked fantastic. <laughs> Well, to be fair, like, Buffalo had a back-to-back, so maybe they were just like, fine, we'll give Hutton. They knew they were going to play Olmark and Hutton each of those games. What's the difference? It's against the, the same the team. The writer agreed how great Carter Hutton. I, look, this is all just to say that Victor, I don't want to be singing Victor Rask's praises <laughs> for essentially no reason. 
Fine. Okay. So I'm sorry I said something nice about Victor Rask. I <laughs> okay. take it back. You <laughs> suck, Victor Rask. Maybe. Okay. I didn't see his camp. Maybe he had a good camp. <laughs> okay. Another guy who's burst out of the gate is Matt Dumba, who had an assist on Thursday, scored on Saturday, has had five and four shots respectively in those two games. That's nine shots compared to Chikrin's eight shots. Uh, Dumba, like Chikrin, didn't have the most exciting year last year, only a 29-point pace. But this season is looking like a nice bounce-back candidate, especially with him having seen the most power play time on ice of all the defensemen for Minnesota on Saturday. Brian, would it be crazy to be expecting a return to the 50-plus point Dumba that people thought they were drafting going into the 2019-20 season and then were, like, sorely disappointed? And uh, I guess to make things fun, who do you like better between Dumba and Chikrin? Maybe we could keep a running total of ranking these defensemen who are coming out hot. Good luck. You're in charge of keeping that running total. Are you crazy to believe in a Dumba bounce back? No, not crazy at all. I drafted him in a couple leagues because there's room for Dumba to reclaim that 50, 55 point form that he'd had for the two seasons prior to last, although more like one and a half because he missed so much time due to injury. But I love, love, love seeing Dumba take nine shots over two games, which puts him with the uh, like ability to put up 15, even 20 goals as a defenseman, if he takes enough shots because he's one of those higher converting defensemen, has like an 8% shooting percentage, which is fantastic from the blue line. I like Dumba more than power play to Shikrin, if that's where he lands when Segment Larson is healthy. Probably closer to even between Dumba and power play one Shikrin, but I think I'd still lean Dumba by a hair just because we've seen him break the 50 point mark before and i have a a lot of faith that he can do it again if he gets solid deployment yeah well but he doesn't have a center right just like capra's but i guess (laughs) yeah i I, that's a good point i actually was less concerned about the defenseman not having a center than a winger but maybe uh maybe i need to work that in I mean, either way, it's not as if Arizona has a super exciting center either. So I think that we can consider... I think Dumba and Chikrin is a fun comparable. I'm just going to keep doing analogies all show, comparing different players. Uh, anyways, on the flip side of Dumba and Kaprizov, we've got Kevin Fiala, who of the Wilds' eight goals they've scored so far, Fiala has exactly zero points to show for them. But like, it's definitely not due to a lack of trying. Fiala's put up seven and six shots in his first two games. It's 13 shots overall in two games. Nothing has gone in. No assists. This probably shouldn't be possible, but if there happens to be a nervous Fiala owner in your league, I think now's a prime time to try and pounce with a buy low offer, right? Like Fiala, I mean, I'll ask you, but I know the answer. He's going to be just fine. He's clearly playing well and just not getting the bounces. If you can get him for a little cheaper right now, then go for it. Yeah, there's nothing for me to add. That is very obvious advice. If you can find someone panicking, I guess, because Kevin Fiala still to some people might be someone who could be considered a flash in the pen. Of course, if you listen to the last season of Keeping Carlson, you know that we don't think that's the case. So if you can find someone who is less confident in him than we are, then try and pounce. Yeah. Okay. So then on the bad luck side of these wild comebacks and overtime wins has been the LA Kings led by... uh, Wait a second. Let me check my notes here. This can't be right. Wait. Jeff Carter? The Kings have scored six goals so far, and Carter has gotten in on four of them with a goal and three assists. He's put up 11 shots on goal in his two games so far. Definitely not what we were expecting after a 37-point pace, age 35 season in 2019-20. Brian, is former Keeping Carlson favorite Jeff Carter back, or... Has his production been unsustainable? Like, I do see that two of his assists have come on Andreas Athanasiu goals, and those have been Athanasiu's only shots of the season. So I can't imagine he's going to keep on racking up the assists by passing it to Andreas Athanasiu. But you can't argue with those shot totals, right? But 
He's not even on the first power play. Like, the first power play has been Brown, Kopitar, Campe, Iafolo, and Dowdy. Carter's not even there. But patron Thomas wrote a whole post on our Discord server about how Carter looks so different than he has since his Achilles injury a few years back. He is skating more like he did before and has suddenly found himself shooting again as a result. So, Brian, with all these on this hand, on that hand, on the other hand, like, what do you say? Are we rushing to add Jeff Carter right now? Or should we be very skeptical of him all of a sudden being good again at what we expected was the tail end of his career as a 36-year-old? Like, who is this guy? Dustin Brown circa 2017-18? Feel like I'm at a party uh, hosted by Sir Mix a lot with all those butts you mentioned. <laughs> What's more shocking for Jeff Carter, by the way, that he has 11 shots or that, yeah, he's done it with less than 10 minutes of ice time per night at five on five and from the second power play. Uh, both of those just don't go together. So yeah, what is exactly going on here? Well, I did find one quirk behind Jeff Carter's shot numbers, and that's that he's not even taking so many more shot attempts than in previous years, but that more of his shot attempts are just actually making it all the way to the net so far. There is a difference, right? A shot attempt is a shot that comes off your stick, goes towards the net. A shot on goal is actually a shot that would go in if the goalie weren't standing there. And generally for Jeff Carter, about 60% of his five-on-five shot attempts become shots on goal. So far, almost 85% of his shot attempts have become shots on goal. So he's not even really releasing pucks more often, they're just finding their way to the nets, seeing eyes on those pucks that are coming off Jeff Carter's stick. And it's nice to see we really wanted, or I really wanted to get behind Jeff Carter last year, which was when he was coming off this awful 2018-19 campaign where he looked brutal in every way possible. But then in 1920, his numbers actually returned to where they'd been in the couple years before, where I'd liked him as like a low-key uh, low-end roster or streaming candidate consistently, but those good numbers under the hood never actually showed up on the score sheet last year. And the shots on goal, by the way, last year, I remember we were talking about Tyler Toffoli in LA as somebody who's shooting so much, something's got to give. Same thing went for Jeff Carter last season. He was shooting at a rate of three shots per game last year and had awful puck luck. And that's decent enough reason to take a shot on him now As a stream, though, I'm not getting too pumped about him because we're seeing variants swing the other way for him earlier this year from being really bad to really great. First off at five on five, he has a 100% IPP, which means he has gotten a point on every single goal scored while he's been on the ice. And also his on ice shooting percentage. So the way all his teammates are shooting, the percent, their percentage of success is 25%. How about Andres Athanasiu, by the way? I think at one point he had two shots on two goals on two shots this season. Um, but so given all that, that he's still doing some good stuff that he was doing last year, but luck seems to be turning his way or at least not being so awful. I think. Jeff Carter is a worth a low-risk grab to see what comes of this as we see more games from him. But keep in mind, and the reason I say he's just a stream at this point is that best case, especially with less than 10 minutes a night at 5-on-5 five five and on the second power play unit, I think Carter's probably, say, a 55-point guy with three shots per game. And, and I repeat, like, LA is rolling lines 2, 3, and 4 pretty evenly so far. And I don't know if that's going to change. So I'm not taking for granted that Jeff Carter is suddenly going to get a bump in ice time. Uh, so uh, to put that all together, I think the ceiling is still reasonably low for Jeff Carter and really anyone in L.A. And that's why I'm not getting too excited about considering him like a season long ad that I need to have on my roster right now. 
Yeah, I mean, if he was playing with Kopitar, at least on the top power play, I'd be a little more excited. But I agree with you. I'm going to be wary of Jeff Carter. But sure, stream him in if you could get him, especially if your league counts shots. Seems like he's going to be helping you there. Uh, I see him like Kessel, actually. <laughs> like someone who like is doing really well after the first couple games. I'm not expecting it to last, but it's kind of fun to see it. Yeah, exactly. Also, a fun fact. Do you know that there are more NHLers with the first name Carter than the last name Carter? Mm, well, I do know that Carter Verhage has just scored a goal for Florida. Actually, Florida's up 2 nothing now. A, a classic Keeping Carlson mid-game update here. Uh, yeah, but Carter Verhage playing with Barkov and Duclair on the top line, and he scored a goal, so he's won. And I guess it's Carter Hutton. Um, anyone else? Keith Any- Yandel with the other goal, by the way. Yeah, I know. Look at that. I wish I added him. Okay, but yeah, we're talking about Carters. So yeah, Carter Hutton is one. One other you should definitely know. Oh, I just named him. Okay. Shoot. Just say it. Well, no, I said Carter Hutton. Okay, yeah, that's what I said. I said Carter Hutton. Oh, I thought you said Verheg. And then I also said Carter Hutton. Okay, the others are Carter Hutton, Carter Hart, and Carter Rowney in Anaheim. I know, I said Carter Hutton. Stop saying Carter Hutton. I said it. <laughs> Carter Hutton is also in the league. Jeff Carter's the only player with the last name Carter. I can't believe I remembered Carter Hutton before Carter Hart. That was definitely a fail on my side. Uh, okay, so Jeff Carter seems good. Uh, very interesting over in Florida. Should we just jump to Florida? No, we'll get to Florida later. Okay. Anyway, you know, I wasn't planning on this when I started prepping the show, but let's just continue through this journey of teams that were supposed to be boring and so far haven't really been. And let's stop in New Jersey, where the Devils have been hanging in there against last year's President's Trophy, Boston Bruins. They lost 3-2 in a shootout on Thursday versus the Bruins, and they won 2-1 in overtime against the Bruins on Saturday. So way to go, New Jersey Devils. And sure, you could say that the Bruins were without Pasternak, so they weren't at 100%, but the Devils have been without Nico Hishier. So they also aren't at 100%. Plus, they've had to deal with this issue that Corey Crawford retired like out of nowhere, uh, meaning Scott Wedgwood is currently Mackenzie Blackwood's backup. Though, as I say this, Toronto has waived Aaron Dell. I have this hunch that Dell... Well, I mean, if New Jersey was smart, they would sign Aaron Dell or get someone. But anyway, whatever. Through two games, it's been Blackwood and Net anyways, and he's been amazing. He's stopped 62 of 65 shots for a sparkling 9.54 save percentage against the Boston Bruins. Brian, we moved Blackwood up to Tier 3 in our goalie tiers after we recorded Schmorgoliesborg when we heard the news of Crawford retiring. We're like, okay, he's definitely a starter, so he should be in Tier 3, but we didn't want to put him in Tier 2, which are like more reliable starters. If we were allowed to make adjustments, to our goalie tiers, which we're not. We're not going to touch it. But if we were allowed, would you move Blackwood up to Tier 2 after seeing these first couple of games and how amazing he's been? No, I wouldn't. But that's not a comment on Blackwood. It's more a comment on the quality of team he plays for. And to be in Tier 2, you need to be like a superstar goalie or a goalie that is already good and on a very good team. And I just don't see either of those things being true yet. I'm not saying they can't be true one day. Also... Blackwood is going to need a backup or he's going to burn out quickly, right? Scott Wedgwood has had a couple opportunities. And I think at one point he had a nice little run, but uh, he's not exactly been able to prove that he's up to the task of being an NHL backup. So I think that bodes poorly for Blackwood if there's no good alternate option for the Devils to play so he can get some rest. We've seen this movie before with Blackwood. Uh, In the meantime, until they do hopefully find that backup goalie that was, of course, supposed to be Corey Crawford. Happy trails, by the way, to Corey Crawford. What a great career he had. Uh, New Jersey's at least giving Blackwood average protection, so he doesn't have to do it all by himself in the games he does play, which is a step in the right direction. 
I mean, I'll tell you, like, I would move Blackwood up, actually. I'm like, I think he's an amazing goalie, and we're starting to see it now. And now, you know, we were worried about it being a time show. And I get what you're saying, that he might have to play too many games. So hopefully New Jersey does get a backup that could at least play sometimes. So it's not like a Carey Price situation in Montreal last year. But uh, I think I'd move Blackwood up. But I was already telling you going into the season that I was more into New Jersey than you clearly were. And so far, I like what I've seen. We'll see what happens when he shares Just, back. I think they're going to be a good team. Yeah, for context, in our second tier, and you can see this at keepacarlson.com slash goalies or linktr.ee slash keeping carlson has a link to all the links we ever share including the stream scheme one that elon mentioned earlier but yeah the other goalies in tier two tuka rask freddie anderson robin laner carter hart jordan biddington connor hellebuck carrie price markstrom gibson and chastorkin i'd still like well i made the case that's just anyway we'll talk about chastorkin later but i don't think reading those names that blackwood quite belongs there yet again i said he might one day not yet i would trade him with frederick anderson right now i'm getting really Really? well we'll talk about frederick anderson in a little bit (laughs) let's keep talking about the the players we're going to talk about later well let's stick with new jersey still and finish off this team by the way with nico Hishir out the top line has been jack hughes centering kyle palmieri and a fellow named egor sharangovich uh the 19 year old hughes definitely looking better than the 18 year old version of jack hughes he's been playing around 22 minutes of TOI in these first two games. He's got three assists so far. So an amazing start for Hughes, especially compared to last year. Do you think, like, at this point, should people be trying to, like, sell Hughes in one-year leagues because he sure is likely coming back and that might bump him? Or, like, at this point, should we just assume Jack Hughes, who's, like, definitely the plan is for him to eventually be the top-line, top-power play guy, like, the main offensive contributor on the team... Should we just assume that's going to continue to happen and he sure will like slot in under Hughes or either way? Like, do you think, like, obviously I'm not saying Hughes is going to be a point per game guy, but do you think this is for real and he's for sure someone that is going to be rostered like all season long in all fantasy leagues? It depends on your format, right? And your depth. But at the same time, I also think Jack Hughes is a pretty rosterable guy in a lot of settings. And if the implication is that when Nico Heesher comes back, it's going to hurt Jack Hughes. I don't think so. I see a universe where both Hughes and Heesher can have good seasons. And that's why I wouldn't be nervous about owning Jack Hughes at this point. Along with Nolan Patrick, Hughes and Heesher have these draft pedigrees that have been forgotten. And we're seeing Heesher, not yet because he's here, but we're seeing uh, early reminders of why these guys were drafted where they are. And of course, it's not a slam dunk to have that draft pedigree. But at the same time, They were there for a reason, and I think it's okay to give them a little bit of rope to work with. And that's why if I'm owning Jackie's, I'm not looking over my shoulder and being concerned that he sure can come back because I think they can both have nice seasons together. Yeah, Hughes is looking really good. Apparently, he put on like a lot of weight in the summer. Like, apparently, this 19 year old Jack Hughes is very different than the 18 year old one. And I'm excited to see what he can do this year. Uh, who's this guy he's playing with? Egor Sharangovich. He's been playing, like I said, on the top line. He scored the overtime winner versus Boston on Saturday. He had five shots on goal in these first two games, which isn't too shabby. No power play time, though. That's not great. Uh, but I got to imagine this Egor Sharangovich, he's got to be worth at least considering in deeper leagues, right? Igor Sharangovich is from Minsk, Belarus. He was drafted by New Jersey in the fifth round, 141st overall back in 2018. And he's actually one of only six players drafted outside the first round in 2018 to have seen NHL action by this point. Also in that group, Jet Wu in Vancouver, John Leonard in San Jose, and Alexander Romanov in Montreal, who've made their debut this week, along with Sharangovich. Uh, Sharangovich was probably best known before this for a pretty good World Juniors tournament in 2018. 
2018 where he had five points in six games for Belarus. Uh, he was fine, but mostly unremarkable in AHL Binghamton for the last two seasons since he's turned pro, though he did score 17 goals in 34 KHL games before the NHL season got underway. So Sharangovich is kind of interesting, especially on that top line, but I don't think he's a must-have at this point. If you're in a deep enough league, yeah, sure, give him a stream and see what he can do up there, but I'm not thinking that he's a must-hold all season long. Yeah, he's definitely someone that, like, you need to know his name, clearly. Get him on your watch list at the very least, and while he's on the top line, you know, consider streaming him in, especially if the schedule is, like, you know, works out for you. Uh, okay, one last thing on New Jersey. P.K. Subban has been getting top deployment for the defensemen so far, getting the most power play and even strength time, but actually it's Ty Smith, who is the D-man who's been getting the points. He has a goal and an assist in the two games. Uh, Smith, a rookie this year, uh, only averaging 17 minutes and 19 seconds in these first two games, but still gotta imagine he's worth a look while he's on a roll, right? Like, is Ty Smith in this Egor Sharangovich category of, like, someone that you need to be knowing about and maybe consider adding, but not a sure thing? Yeah, for sure. I'd say similar to Sharangovich. In fact, I think Ty Smith is probably a little more addable than Sharangovich just because of scarcity of D. And, you know, if you want to try and get someone because you find yourself pretty thin on the blue line at this point of the year, then uh, Ty Smith, you could do worse. Actually, I've got another guy coming up later in the show that I still would prefer over Ty Smith. But in a deep enough league, like if you've got 14 teams and everybody's got four or five D, Ty Smith is probably available and worth a shot, even as just an insurance policy if one of your own defensemen goes down early. Yeah, and don't forget, like, Ty Smith isn't a nobody, right? Like, he had a pedigree going into this season. Like, people have been excited about him potentially taking over as the top power play D-man at some point. And maybe it could happen just because he's only seen 17 minutes in these first couple of games. And P.K. Subban's been playing, like, 30 minutes or whatever. Like, it, it's possible that Subban struggles like he did last year. Next thing you know, Ty Smith keeps working his way up the depth chart. So, yeah, he's definitely someone I'd be interested in looking at and maybe adding if you can fit him in. Uh, okay, Brian, we got a lot more to get to. But before we do, let's take a quick break to thank some sponsors for this episode of Keeping Carlson First. First of all, uh, like we said, we're working with Blue Wire, and they are going to be sometimes dynamically inserting some ads, and I believe this is the place where they'll do it. So thank you so much to all the people who have sponsored this episode. Uh, Here they are. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. And also thanks to our sponsor, Underdog, for this episode. If you like fantasy hockey, and if you like playing fantasy hockey for money, you need to check out Underdog. They have everything. Daily fantasy snake drafts, season-long and playoff best ball, and a new easy-to-play pick'em format. Uh, of course, pick'em is a game where you pick over or under. Like, they give you a bunch of player props or fantasy projections. You pick over or under. You pick four right to 
10 times to get 10 times your money, get five right to win 20 times your money. So simple. Sounds so easy. Why doesn't everybody do it? Uh, Because obviously it's not quite that easy. But the team behind Underdog is amazing. It's a really beautiful app. And it's actually most the same team that our listeners might be familiar with. If you played on draft.com, same team behind Underdog. Uh, They started it nine months ago and have investments from uh, big money like Mark Cuban. So look up Underdog Fantasy in your app store or go to underdogfantasy.com. After you make your first deposit, enter our code Carlson to support the show. That's like Eric's last name. With our code, Underdog is going to honor this amazing money back guarantee that they give, which is that you love Underdog during your first month, or they will refund you up to $100. That's promo code Carlson, like Eric's last name, to get that money back guarantee honored. Again, underdogfantasy.com. Yeah, cool. And by the way, if you uh, use some of our advice from this episode and win some money on Underdog, we'll take a small cut. Yeah, well, you know, email us, keepingcarlson.gmail.com. We'll work something out. Okay, so Brian, let's go on across the George Washington Bridge. We were in New Jersey. Let's go to talk about the two New York teams who split shutout wins 4 nothing and 5 nothing in their first two games. So the Rangers and Igor Shostorkin were the ones on the losing end on Thursday, leading to a bunch of changes for the second game on Saturday, including Alexis Lafreniere bumping Capo Caco to the third line to play with Hedl and Giuseppe. Uh, so Lafreniere got up to play with Panarin, which is of course, huge. Uh, also, Anthony D'Angelo got healthy scratched in that second game due to some bad penalties, which led to Adam Fox getting promoted to the top power play. Also, Alexander Georgiev got the second start instead of Shostorkin, where he pitched a 23-save shutout. So, Brian, three questions for you based on this. Number one, for anyone who drafted Kako liking the deployment with Panarin, is it time to consider streaming him out, even though he did actually score on Saturday from that third line? But I, I feel like even if he scored a goal, if he's on the third line, not that interesting to me. But at the same time, he's Kapokako, who you just talked about, these people with high draft pedigrees, you need to hold on to them. So that's an interesting question. Then, how nervous should D'Angelo managers be? Because even if he comes back, I think it might be possible that Adam Fox has stolen his top power play spot. He had a power play assist on Panarin's late goal on Saturday. Like, why not just keep rolling with Fox, even if you put D'Angelo back in the lineup? And by the way, the corollary to that would be, uh, this could be huge for Adam Fox. And all of a sudden, he joins the Chikrin and Dumbuck conversation. Okay, number three... Maybe you and Ben Burnett were right in thinking that Georgiev may end up getting more starts than I was expecting, or would it be just, or is it too silly to read into these two games, one game each per goalie, and should we just be equally as confident that Shostorkin is going to have a monster year? Okay, so you asked me about a few players, so I'm just going to go back to the start first and talk about, very briefly, Capo Caco, who on the third line definitely enters streamer territory. Yeah, there's still that upside for how exciting he could be, but it's not a great, it was a great sign for him to start with great deployment, not a great sign to see him lose it so quickly. Of course, a lot of different things are being played with and experimented. We're not going to take anything as being like tried and true and in concrete. That would be a big mistake. However, uh, I think if I did have Kako on my roster, and I do in one league, I'm a little less married to him now. And then you look at the Rangers' schedule this week. They play once between Monday and Thursday, and then they play Pittsburgh on Friday and Sunday. So maybe you could even get away with dropping him, picking up someone who's going to get you a couple games between Monday and Thursday, and then adding him back in. Because I can't imagine he's extremely appealing to anyone, and depending on how that game against New Jersey on Tuesday goes, may still not be appealing, or maybe very appealing. So I guess, of course, it depends on how ready you are to lose Capo Caco. 
I would be, I'm a little readier today to lose him than I was a week ago. Uh, you also asked about Tony D'Angelo and how nervous I am about him losing his top power play spot. Uh, yeah, you should be a little nervous about that if you're a D'Angelo owner. He has this history of making himself unwelcome, and he probably only survived David Quinn last year because that production was coming from D'Angelo on the power play, but clearly there seem to be higher expectations this year for what D'Angelo needs to do without the puck, and David Quinn seems to be setting that tone real quick. And then you have Adam Fox literally right there as a legit power play one quarterback, as legit at least as Tony D'Angelo is in that position. So if David Quinn wants to use that spot on the top power play to reward his defensemen for all around play, it wouldn't be surprising at all to see Adam Fox take it over before long. That said, that's all speculation and conjecture. I don't know if that's what what's happening. I don't know if D'Angelo really smartens up and figures things out, but he has not had a good couple games to start the season. And then you also asked me about Georgiev. And uh, yeah, I did make the case that he and Shostyorkin were going to be more of a split than you thought. At the same time, I actually uh, was chatting with Ben about whether he should stream him in before that shutout against the Islanders. And I was like, no, I'm a little nervous about the Rangers. And he goes in and puts up that gem. So I'm talking a bit out of both sides of my mouth about Georgiev. I believe in him. Like, I think he's probably an average goalie. And I think he could definitely split starts with Shostyorkin. I just feel bad that I blew it for our short shifts buddy Ben on that streaming call. My first streamer advice whiff of the season, uh, hopefully not of many. Yeah, well, you know, we are the big picture guys. Very hard to predict these like single games. I don't think it was terrible advice. I'm sure Ben added someone else who was good as well. I hope. Good luck, Ben. Oh, yeah, he got a win today. Not not the best numbers, but he got the win in overtime. So good for him. We'll talk about the Pittsburgh situation. (laughs) This show will be all about how we'll talk about who we're going to talk about, because right now I want to talk about another goaltending situation, and that's on the Islanders, the other side of these back-to-back shutouts. Uh, Semyon Varlamov, who had an amazing game on Thursday, took a puck to the neck area during warm-ups, and so he ended up being a late scratch for that second game, and then Ilya Sorokin came in and didn't do very well at all. He led in five goals on 32 shots in the 5 nothing loss. I'm not going to read into that myself. Like, he didn't even know was going to play until a second before uh but obviously that's an interesting situation to follow brian i didn't see any new updates on varlamov uh have you heard anything or is this because i got it wrong before when i said that there wasn't any news about the other injury so what have you heard no this one i actually have not heard anything all right so, so check in so definitely go and check roto world that's our favorite source for finding the latest injury info and see if uh, anything new has come out about Varlamov. And please speak it into your microphone right now so we can give you customized advice based on... Okay, that's dumb. Sorry. (laughs) Well, okay. That's not... That was kind of dumb. But something that would be dumb would be to not add Ilya Sorokin. If if Sorokin is available and news comes out that Varlamov is going to miss time, you'd be a bit of a dumb-dumb to read into this, like, bad game and decide, eh, maybe Sorokin's not even that good. Like, he's a clear must-add if Varley misses time, right? Like, we're, we were already super excited about his talent. Plus, he's on this Trots team where all goalies do well. Plus, like, he would likely get the majority of starts over Corey Schneider, who just signed and would be the backup, I guess, if Varlamov does miss time. So, I mean, I hope that Varlamov 
you know, is fine and he plays the next game. They'll go back to back. I think they were planning, but yeah, just keep in mind that if you need a goalie and Varlamov news comes out that he's going to be out, like Sorokin might end up being one of the more valuable guys you can add. It's kind of like last year actually reminds me another analogy, Brian Corpusalo got injured. And if you recall, Merz Lickens like didn't do that well in his like games that he played early on for Columbus. And then when Corpusalo got injured, I think a lot of people were a little hesitant to add Merz Lickens. Cause like, oh, maybe he's not that good. And then he went on to be like amazing. And I feel like it would be just like that with Sorokin if, you know, if that happens, which I hope it doesn't. Yeah, I guess don't get too upset or hung up on that early results from his first NHL appearance. Uh, it could get better for Sorokin. By all accounts, it, it should and will. And of course, he'll have a huge opportunity. And honestly, even if Sorokin is just like barely an average NHL goalie, playing for that Islanders team should still give him sterling numbers. Not a great start, by the way, for our Russian rookie goaltenders, right? Shostyorkin and Sorokin. And now uh, Ilya Samsonov just has an 868 save percentage for through his first two games. Yeah, I mean, I would see it as potential like buy low opportunities, but obviously something to watch. Like all again, this whole show is basically like don't read too much into two games, except for when we tell you otherwise, which I guess we have as we've been going. Uh, Brian, another guy on the Islanders that you mentioned to me was Noah Dobson, as someone that interests you. He's been playing on a power play with Barzal, Lee, Eberle, and Pulak. So Islanders have been going three forwards, two defensemen. Uh, they saw less than fifty percent of the time on Saturday, but like you said, like let's not read too much into that. Still, I'm going to say. I'm not into Noah Dobson for this year. To me, he looks like like another Devon Taves, which like even when he was on the top power, just like when's the last time a top power play defenseman on the Islanders has been worthwhile? And now I'm like excited about Pulak. I'm not going to be excited about two top power play defensemen on the Islanders. So yeah, like I like Dobson as someone to watch and maybe stream in when there's a good game, but he's not someone I'm looking at as a long-term guy. Curious what you think. Well, here's why I'm looking at Dobson a little more closely than you is because he has three hits and five blocks after two games, which is more than you could say for Devin Taves' peripherals. So unlike Devin Taves or Nick Letty, Noah Dobson is not giving you absolutely nothing if he doesn't produce on that top power play. Also, I feel like Dobson has actually got more offensive chops and pedigree than either Taves or Letty. So I like him more than I did them. And if you happen to be desperate for a D, I think he's worth a run as a fourth or fifth defenseman type. I'd say uh, somewhere between uh, Shikrin and a Ty Smith. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I guess like Ty Smith and Dobson have both been seeing this like low ice time, but have, you know, have the potential to have offensive results. Okay. I'm convinced. I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll, I'll put Ty Smith and Dobson at the same level. Maybe even I agree with you, Dobson, a little bit higher. Uh, if you're looking for a defenseman and they're hard to find in your league. Uh, okay. So speaking of goalies who have been letting people down, how nervous should Frederick Anderson managers be right now? Because if you've got Anderson in your league, you probably drafted him pretty high. And in his two games so far on Wednesday and Friday, he's letting four Four and five goals versus the Habs and the Sens for a scary 839 save percentage. Ew! And in comparison, Jack Campbell, he was decent enough. He stopped 17 of 19 shots on Saturday for the 3-2 revenge win over the Senators to get the Leafs uh, back in the win column. Uh, Brian, if you recall, like Frederick Anderson, he's an unrestricted free agent after this season. So the Leafs likely have no allegiance to him. They're not just going to play him because he's their guy. And at 31 years old, I don't know. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe it's starting to look like he may not be the goalie that he was a few years ago. Like he had a 909 save percentage last year, which was way down from the solid high, like nine teens numbers that he had been putting up since joining the Leafs. Uh, are my like overreacting here? And really the advice should be to buy low from panicking Anderson owners. Or do you think this could be a rough season where he may even cede some starts to Jack Campbell for stretches along the way? 
You are overreacting, Elon. Like, yeah, the point of having Jack Campbell there, it's kind of like in Montreal, the point of having Jake Allen there is to have an actual alternative where there traditionally hasn't been one. So my hope would actually be that that makes Freddie Anderson better because he's got more rest. And so he's a better player when he is on the ice. You know, Toronto as a whole has been uh, not great. Neither is Freddie Anderson, to be fair. And you can probably attribute some of those growing pains to new faces like TJ Brody and Zach Bogosian being on the blue line and everyone figuring out what that means. Uh, But I, you know, I, I don't, I haven't given up on Anderson at all. Last season was the first time in his whole career that Freddie Anderson finished uh, with a save percentage that was below what would have been expected from an average NHL goalie. And I'm not going to give up on him because that happened once. Like you say, like you're talking about selling, you want to sell him? Like, what do you want to do with him? Well, what I said was, you want to? Should you buy low? No, uh, okay. From what the I said, Anderson owners like you. Okay. Well, basically, I, let me ask you this, Brian, to answer okay. this: like, w- you don't have Anderson. Would you no. go and try to buy low for yeah. on him right now? I would. Yeah, I don't know. I disagree. I, I, and I also doubt that I would be able to possibly offer enough because I doubt any Freddie oh. Anderson manager wants to sell low on an asset that probably was not cheap to acquire. But I would definitely go ahead and kick some tires. Uh, like, I've, I don't know. People in the chat room seem to be concerned about Anderson. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter concerned about Anderson. And I've seen people in our Discord channel. So I think that you can get him at okay. a cheaper value right now. And I don't know. The North Division like is like seems to be very high scoring. Anderson's already had one bad year. It's not looking great to start this year. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm more nervous than you. But I guess you're saying that Anderson will be fine. So we'll see. Let, let me see you go in a trade for Frederick Anderson. I don't know if I believe you. Let's see. Okay. Throw out some I'll, offers. I'm going to go see whose roster he's on. And in the meantime, if anyone listening trades away Anderson or trades for Anderson, please add us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson and tell us what the deal was. Yeah, I think the uh, Shane is saying in the chat, the Jack Campbell era has begun. I don't know if he's joking or not. I like Jack Campbell. I think he might. I don't know. Maybe he's better than Frederick Anderson at this point. I guess we'll uh, I, I wonder if we'll even find out. Uh, OK, uh, aside from that, on the lease, they're still running these ridiculous lines from training camp with a uh, Marner, Matthews and Thornton and the Jimmy VC playing with Nylander and Tavares. Uh, at least Sheldon Keith put up what I will say is the correct power play on Saturday. He went back to having Tavares, Nylander, Marner, Matthews, and Morgan Riley. Uh, so yeah, that's how things should be. Let's get Jimmy VC out of there. Get like Zach Hyman back with Tavares, and I think everything will be back to normal. Cool to see Joe Thornton score a goal, by the way, yesterday as a Leaf. Like, this guy, so good. Okay, over on the Sens, who are the team that... Uh, beat the Leafs in that first game and then kept it close in game number two. Uh, nice showing to start the season. They traded wins with the Leafs, like I said. Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat looking great as expected. Matt Murray has really been holding his own. He stopped 37 of 40 shots on Saturday. That's the high volume we were hoping for when we were saying that draft Matt Murray, he might let in some goals, but he'll make up for it with a bunch of saves. Brian, I kind of am having some regrets for Schmerz Goliesborg. I kind of feel like we should have put him in the Kakupful tier three. Like the Sens don't seem like so, so bad to me. Uh, uh, feel free to slap some sense into me now as I'm saying this, but I feel like uh, tier three was goalies who are for sure starters, but maybe we're not super confident. And then we put Matt Murray in like a lower tier of like goalies we have no faith in. And at this point, I'd, I'd be happy to have Matt Murray on my fantasy team. Oh, absolutely. And we made the point during our Schmore Goalies Board episode, and I made the point to you and we were tearing our goalies that Murray feels like somebody who, if things just break decently... Uh, if he just gets a lot of play and is an average NHL goalie, that makes him a pretty useful fantasy asset. Of course, 
like Matt Murray being an average goalie sounds really obvious all of a sudden after the two games we've seen him against Toronto, but it wasn't obvious before the season. It's still no sure thing that Matt Murray can hold his own any better than Craig Anderson or Anders Nilsson or Marcus Hogberg have in Ottawa over the last couple of years, though I think his odds are slightly higher than that group. Uh, and also it would really help Matt Murray if Ottawa keeps being not awful as they weren't awful in their opening games. Their first one was incredible. They looked like the 92-93, the inaugural season Ottawa Senators, out there first because of the jerseys, of course, and then second because they won their opener in a David versus Goliath matchup 5-3, which was exactly how their modern-day franchise started in a game against the Montreal Canadiens, who that season went on to win the Stanley Cup. So this is a really good omen for the Leafs and a terrible one for the Senators potentially because they won like four games the rest of that season. Okay, but I'm guessing we're probably not going to be predicting that the Sens are only going to win four games moving forward uh, because maybe back then they didn't have players at the caliber of uh, Brady Kachuk or Thomas Shabbat or some other guys who are looking pretty good. Uh, Kachuk's been playing on the top line with Josh Norris and Drake Batherson, both of whom picked up two assists in the Friday game. Both didn't uh, pick up any points on the Saturday game. Batherson especially has caught my eye, though. Five shots on goal and four hits on Friday. Only one shot, but three hits on Saturday. And he's been getting big power play time on ice in both of the games uh i tried to get batherson on my keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league team we use fab free agent budget where you have to bid on free agents from this hundred dollar budget that we all have to start the year i put eight dollars on batherson and unfortunately for me dave Benton, my opponent this week also bid eight dollars and he won the tie break so he got batherson then i was kind of happy to see that batherson didn't get any points on saturday because that would have really annoyed me if i lost that bid and then he blew me up but brian like at this point now, having seen the second game, should I, if I could go back in time and change things, should I go back and change it to $9 to win that bid? Or did I get off easy and maybe like Batherson just had an amazing first game, but we shouldn't be expecting like this huge breakout second season? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I don't think we have enough data to fully answer it. Just by the way, if you're not familiar with Drake Batherson, he's been one of the top prospects in Ottawa system for a while. And of course, saw a little action in the bigs over the last couple seasons, but no more than 23 games in one year. Fourth round pick, 121st overall, uh, drafted by Ottawa back in 2017, is now 22 years old, and yeah, off to a great start this season after being up at the top of the AHL in scoring last season with Reed Boucher, uh, who's 27 and now playing in the KHL. Uh, another interesting name up there, though, Gerald Mayhew, who we've mentioned before as an option in Minnesota, as a deep option in Minnesota. Uh, he was a healthy, he's been a healthy scratch so far this season. Uh, I don't know. I, sorry, I don't mean to go away from Ottawa, but Minnesota needs a center. They have Gerald Mayhew, who led the AHL in scoring last season. It was one of the top three. Maybe. He's worth a look there. Anyway. Hey, Minnesota's won their first two games. Why are you bagging on Minnesota? They're doing fine. I'm not, but they clearly are looking for a center, and they have a top AHL performer. Are they? Are they clearly looking for a center? Seems like they've rolled four centers in their first two games, and they've won both of those games. Maybe they're happy with their centers. Anyways, let's talk about Drake Batherson. You're right. Minnesota (laughs) does not need to improve on uh, on. Victor Rask and Nick Bukestad as a top line center. You hate Victor Rask. It and has Nick nothing, it's nothing to. It's nothing to do with how I feel about them. They're not top line center. You put them on. All right. I, okay. Back to Ottawa. 
Drake Batherson, uh, he looked really good to my eye test too. A lot of Ottawa did somehow. Uh, but Batherson is a good guy to take a swing on in a year that, yeah, he should stay up with the team. Like last year it was a will he or won't he situation. This year he will. Uh, and it's already showing. Batherson got three more minutes of ice time uh, already compared to what he averaged last year. Huge power play time, like you said, and he hits as well. I guess the question is, uh, how for real are the Ottawa Senators? And the same question I asked about Matt Murray. That's the answer for what how big of a shot Batherson is worth. And that'll be somewhere between streaming and full season hold. I think he's at least worth a stream. Like I think his upside going back to earlier in the show is, is probably higher than Jeff Carter's. So if you're choosing between those two, I would go with Drake Batherson. And uh, yeah, I think like it's hard to, in terms of the, the fab bid you put in eight versus $9, I can't really gauge just whether uh, it, like his value in fab, but I will say that there's, there's a decent chance that he can stick on a lineup all season long. Although I think you were beaten on that bid by Dave, who is likely to stream him out before long, right? So you'll, you should get another shot. Uh, we'll see. I mean, you'd think if he spent $8, it means he's going to hold on. Yeah, Batherson looking really good. I'll say this. If you're in a categories league that has hits, just grab him because he has all his points upside. Plus, it seems like he's going to give you hits no matter what. So it's like a Tom Wilson situation, even if things don't go amazing. Uh, but yeah, things could be really good because he's playing with Brady Kachuk on the you know top line and top power play. So grab Batherson. I wish I could have him. Uh, we're having. I mean, I wouldn't go too crazy. Like uh, We have a question in the chat here from Famous Jay asking if he should swap Chris Kreider for Batherson. I'm not going that yeah. far. Like, Kreider's on the line was a band chat. He's on the top power play. Like, hold on to Kreider. Uh, but though there another player that hasn't done much in the first two games that I am actually concerned about is a guy on the Sens, Evgeny Dadanov, who's been playing on a line with Tim Stuchla, who scored his first goal yesterday. So congratulations, Tim. Or it wasn't he's being called Jimmy? Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Stuchla. And uh, anyways, so Stuchla, uh, Dadanov, and Derek Stepan. Uh, Dadanov, no points and only three shots in the two games so far. He's gotten nice power play time on ice so far, but he only played eight minutes and six seconds at even strength yesterday. And compare that to Brady Kachuk, who played like 12 and a half minutes. Uh, Chris Tierney and Connor Brown were over 14. So Dadanov, like not getting ice time at even strength. Uh, I'll tell you, Brian, I'm really glad I didn't draft Dadanov in any of my leagues. And I'd be really nervous if I had him on my team. Like Stutzla is fun, but it seems like this season, to me, it'll be like you want to be having the guy on the Kachuk line or you don't want this player in your fantasy league. And if Dadanov's not there... I don't know. Like, to me, I, I might already be ready to say that Dadnov's a snoozer. And I know, like, it's small sample size and anything could happen. But, like, if you're in a league where, like, someone like Batherson is available, it would be hard for me not to swap Dadnov for Batherson. I know that some people were really high on Dadnov going into the year. But, you know, last year he already slipped a little from his previous couple of years in Florida. And I think this could be, like, again, me, like, with Frederick Anderson, right? Like, last year we saw the start of a dip, and I'm worried it might continue this year. I would figure anybody who drafted Dadanov like had some risk baked into that, that the ceiling is low for an Ottawa scorer this season, and he's away from Barkov and Huberdeau. And so what exactly is going to accomplish in Ottawa? Not sure, but the upside is there. And my opinion hasn't really changed on that. Like Dadanov was not so visible in either game, but he did have a couple chances. I, you know, if you're asking me to, to rate Dadanov versus Batherson, I think I'd still lean. It's really hard. Like I, I, part of me wants to lean Dadanov because hey, he's been there before with those with that production. But then Batherson, like you said, is playing on the Kachuk line, and that's exciting. Like if this was a blind taste test and I didn't know who was who and I was just looking at their numbers, I would probably lean Batherson. So maybe that's the right answer here. Um, also, do you know that? But like Stutzla is 
good. I, I don't know how much of him you've seen, Elon, but he looks ready. He looks like a legit NHLer, ready to have an impact right away. And uh, like I like he's playing with stepdad. Uh, Stepan and Dadanov, which could be an interesting line. Like, there's a lot of intrigue amongst all three of those players. But yeah, I would rather have the guy playing with Brady Kachuk. Yeah, like, Schutzler for sure is going to have, like, a great career, and maybe he'll even have a nice rookie season, but he's not already at the level where, like, I want his line mate because he's so good as, like, an 18-year-old that just started. Yeah, uh, to me... He's 19, Elon. No, oh. 19, first NHL game. Oh, happy birthday. I mean, another thing I'm just concerned about is, like, Dadanov's played his whole career playing with Barkov. So, like, I don't know how good he is, you know? Like, I, I, like now we'll see. Now he's not playing with superstars, and, you know, now we'll see how he can do. Like, it's possible that Dadanov's never been, like, so amazing. Obviously, he was able to hold his own and stick on the top top line in Florida, but he's been with Barkov and Huberdeau like basically the whole time. So now it's very different. And I'd be nervous. I guess, yeah, hold on for another week. But if he doesn't do anything this week, I would be ready to drop him soon, I think. I will add that there's a lot of like interesting options still in Ottawa, right? Josh Norris is one. Colin White is another. Colin White was scratched for the first game, but then came back and played in the second and picked up a point. So uh, honestly, I feel like a lot of these Ottawa guys are going to be regular streamers. I don't know how often they'll stick because I could see Ottawa going cold and owners getting frustrated, but uh, keep them all on your watch list at least. Keep all the Ottawa Senators on your watch list. You heard it here first. Except Matt Murray on your roster. Yeah, and uh, to Kachuk and Shabbat. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> Those guys, too. <laughs> uh, so let's go to another goalie that's causing some people to freak out in Tristan Jari, who has really stunk to start the year. He let in six goals versus Philly on Wednesday, another three goals on six shots versus Philly on Friday before he got pulled for Casey DeSmith, who came on in relief and stopped the 12, 12 of the 13 shots that he faced in 47 minutes and 45 seconds. How did Pittsburgh really shut it down after that? But it was too late. They already lost that game. Anyways, today, uh, Pittsburgh played against Washington. Washington and Casey DeSmith got the start and he was like fine like you, you know he's he, they only let in 23 shots and he only stopped 20 of them but that was enough for Pittsburgh to get into the shootout and they ended up winning uh, so Casey DeSmith gets the win while Jari has not won anything yet and now it'll be interesting to see what the Pens decide to do for their next game uh, Brian if you recall we had William Nadeau on over the summer to talk about goalies and he made a call he was like I don't think Tristan Jari is that good he's the guy by the way that like watches goalie tape like he knows a lot and he's like he's been into Casey DeSmith for a while and he made a call that he thought Casey DeSmith could steal that job so far I mean it's only been a couple games but uh, Jari's been back and the Smith has been okay. So, Brian, what do you think about this Pittsburgh goalie situation moving forward? Like, should Jari owners be worried? Or are you going to be like with Frederick Anderson? Be like, yeah, no, it's a couple bad games. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, it's instructive that Jari got the first crack. So he's going to get more. I doubt that's his one and only shot at being the number one or 1A position. It's also in Jari's favor that DeSmith, I mean, DeSmith won today. But it wasn't necessarily pretty. He stopped 20 of 23 shots for an 870 save percentage, then one in the shootout. Although this write-up I'm seeing about the game on Yahoo says that uh, he was hardly playing like a backup. Which I'm not sure what it means. I didn't get to watch. The I think they're game. saying that he was good. He was playing like a starter. <laughs> like it sounds like yeah. I guess he played really well in stopping 20 of 23 shots. Maybe he should have let in a couple more. Is what they're saying. If yeah, I were, mean, yeah. Like I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird flex to say the goalie with an 870 save percentage looked really good. But uh, look, it's not out of the possibility out of the realm of possibility that the Smith challenges. We've seen him play like an NHL goalie for stretches of time before, and we've seen Jari be super inconsistent. Remember last year, he had that super hot start, and then super hot, super cold everything after that. 
Uh, and that was really, really concerning. So we're not surprised to see DeSmith at least get a crack at the job. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, he's still, in my mind, the 1B in that situation, because I think Jari is going to get another shot before too long. Sure. Jari will get another shot. But the question is, is he good? <laughs> like, is he going to actually yeah, play I, well? I don't, I, uh, how, you want me to predict a goalie? All I'm saying is uh, Will Nadeau <laughs> took a look and he knows goalies. And so I'm going with Will. I'm saying that Jari is uh, someone I would not be happy to have right now. And if you could, yeah. I'd say I'm if you could you, dump I'm him now. Yeah. I didn't like Jari on Tier 1 Draft Day for anyone who listened to all four hours of last week's episode. Or it probably only took an hour and a half to get to the Tristan Jari part. But yeah, <laughs> no, he's not someone I, I want to be invested in. If I if I owned him, I would be trying to, to sell him to someone who really believes in him. Like, he's my Freddie Anderson, Elon. Okay, yeah, that's right. Okay, so we're in agreement. And I know so oftentimes we'll say, like, when a player is struggling to start the year that was drafted high, the advice is, okay, well, like, don't sell now because you'd be selling low. Like, I'd say, eh, maybe get what you can for Tristan Jari before it's late. Again, that's why we said, by the way, not to reach for goalies because it's really hard to predict which ones will be good. And if anyone, like, reached for Jari in your draft, like, should have waited. You could have gotten, like, a Matt Murray later who's looking better so far. Or maybe, like, uh, you know, Jacob Markstrom. Like, I don't know how all these goalies got ranked in different leagues, but I'd be concerned about Jari. And yeah, also, if, if you need a goalie and it's a super deep league, and DeSmith is still out there, I'd give him a shot. I'm, I agree with Brian that Jari's going to get more chances, but I think it's possible that he just won't capitalize and he'll be the Matt Murray from last year. And yeah. Maybe DeSmith ends up getting more starts. Uh, okay, let's talk about Philly now, the team that embarrassed Tristan Jari and the Penguins for their first two big wins of the year. Uh, so those were an interesting couple of games. Joel Farabee, came out like crazy in that first game. And uh, Ben and Lewis already covered this on short shift. So Farabee had that one goal, three assist game to start the season from his line with Giroux and Hayes. Uh, then Farabee didn't do anything in the second game offensively, but Travis Konechny took over and had a four-point game for himself with three goals and an assist. Uh, lots of players on Philly getting points, right? JVR, Hayes, Giroux, all with three points in two games. And you've got Gustafsson, Lindblom, Nolan Patrick, who you've brought up, Leighton, Voracek, they all have two points in two games. There's lots of potential players in Philly available to people if they think they can keep this up though of course like you said about the arizona guys how they got a lot of points but they were against martin jones like these all these philly guys got points but they were against tristan jari who didn't play well so hard to know how much of this is going to carry forward to next week but uh, i'm going to add one more player that might be interesting on philly because they were hit with a big injury on friday sean couturier sustained a costochondral separation which apparently is like a rib separation doesn't sound comfortable Uh, so he's going to miss a minimum of two weeks and so there were new line combinations in practice today which is sunday basically the line stayed the same except morgan frost who had been scratched for the first couple of games he took over on both the line with konechny and lindblom and on the top power play with Giroux, hayes konechny and provorov so now like morgan frost has a huge opportunity to succeed he's going to be getting you know great even strength and power play minutes so brian uh, let's do some ranking here this is my one time i guess i've already used it but this is my like my big one of the episode i'm gonna ask you to rank a bunch of players on a team because next week by the way philly plays four times including on a bunch of the off day games like they're a good team for streaming already and like let's assume like Konechny, Giroux, Hayes and Voracek they're probably already rostered in most leagues but some of these other guys that I'm about to mention might be free agents so how would you rank uh, these potential Philly FA ads in Oscar Lindblom, Joel Farabee, Nolan Patrick, James Van Riemsdyk and Morgan Frost? Before I rank them, Elon, I just want to say this Philly top nine is so solid through and through it kind of reminds me you know, the way we talk about Montreal and how they have these three even lines, anyone could have success. And they're also good at what they do, except the Philly version comes with more offensive upside and style. And before I even get to ranking that group you asked me to rank, 
I want to mention this question that we had in our Discord server earlier today, which was, what do you think of Konechny playing without Couturier, right? Because Couturier is one of the very best centermen in the NHL and gets that nod because of all he can do at both ends of the ice, right? Remember how long it took him to break out as an offensive player? But before that, he was still known as one of the best defensive centermen in the NHL. So if you lose that, what does that mean for Travis Konechny? And I guess we're about to find out exactly what he can do on his own. I think it's a really good point and is also in the picture for evaluating Lindblom. I don't think you can just drop Morgan Frost in there and everything goes hunky-dory when uh, we still don't, we've never really seen exactly what Konechny or Lindblom can do on their own. And I checked out the Konechny's with or without use for Couturier and like he goes from being an above average forward to being like closer to average, which is not surprising. So we'll see exactly what happens with Morgan Frost playing between Konechny and Lindblom and how much that affects their ability to produce. To answer your question, you asked me to rank the likely free agent Philly forwards. The order I'd have them in is James Van Riemsdyk, obviously, because you know I'm a sucker for him, then Oscar Lindblom, then Nolan Patrick, then Morgan Frost, and then Joel Farabee bringing up the back end. Oh, too bad. Farabee's the one I have on my cupful team, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I was ready to drop him, but then Zach Cassian all of a sudden went, oh, it's so annoying, by the way. He went like day to day, like a second before that game started on Saturday. So I didn't have a chance to put him in the IR, which means I wasn't able to, you know, replace him. So anyway, all that said, Far- I-, I agree with your list. And I know you love James Van Riemsdyk and you're expecting me to make fun of you. But uh, yeah, he's like, a- he's a good player. He's getting on the top power play, so he can't complain. Can I also mention one alternative setup that we might see from Philly? Because Couturier is out at least two weeks if Morgan Frost can't hack it on the top line. Remember, Claude Giroux, like it might not be the best situation for him to do it right now, but he can play center. So maybe he steps up to play with Konechny and Lindblom, in which case I might like Lindblom a little more than James Van Riemsdyk. Right, yes. Yeah, so and then Frost, of course, falls down. So yeah, just keep an eye. Like this is going to be fluid, right? I feel like Philly's going to see, let's see what Morgan Frost can do here, but it could be over 10 minutes into the first period. Yeah, if you recall last year, Morgan Frost came in like late in the season. Like I don't remember why, like maybe there was an injury or something. And he had like an amazing first couple of games. I think he scored a goal in each of his first two games. Everyone went crazy and added him. And then he did nothing the rest of the time. And then he eventually got like sent back to the minors. So, you know, if history repeats itself, you at least want Frost for those first couple of games on Monday and Tuesday. And then maybe you sell high or something. Or maybe, you know, he's a year older. He's a guy who's done like amazing in the minors. He's had like 100 plus point OHL seasons. So it'll, it'll, he's yeah. getting an opportunity now. We'll see what he can do. Yeah, just to be clear, 100 point plus OHL season doesn't mean a whole lot sometimes when you get get to the NHL. In the AHL, Morgan Frost had 29 points in 41 games in his first year as a pro. Uh, He's just 21. And yeah, he did have that nice little burst when he came onto the scene. Uh, The pedigree, like we've read good prospect reports about him. So I'm very, very, very open to him being capable of centering this line with Konechny. But I'm just not about to like spend everything to get him because it could be a short turn there if it's not working out. Yeah, plus, like, there's probably lots of Philly. If you're in a super deep league and all the other Philly guys that we've mentioned are rostered and just Morgan Frost isn't, then you probably want to add Morgan Frost because that's a super deep league and it's probably rare to find someone getting this amazing deployment on a great team. So in that case, you grab Morgan Frost for sure. But otherwise, you might have better options. Okay, so we talked earlier about Dadanov and how he's been a bit of a snoozer so far. Another guy we've been getting a lot of snoozer questions about is Dominic Kubalik over on Chicago. Oh, no. So 
two games before today. He had no points and only three shots. Uh, then, like today, like we're in the third period now of Florida versus Chicago. So far, same old, right? He has no points, uh, one shot. Uh, I'm seeing low ice time. I'm seeing no power play time. Uh, I could bring up the lines here, but I mean, I think you get the story here. Like Kubalik has not been getting good deployment and he has not been able to like capitalize with his bad deployment. Okay, I've got the lines up here for today. Kubalik, Kurashev, and Dylan Strom, which by the way, also makes me concerned about Dylan Strom. It's been Pius Suter who took over as the top line center with Kanan to bring it. Uh, Side, side note, uh, Alex Dabrinkit, Brian, how much did I crush that couple the auction draft getting Dabrinkit late for cheap? Oh, mwah, he scored a power play goal today. I love Alex Dabrinkit. Three points in three games now. But okay, back to Kubali because he's the guy people are wondering about. And I guess Dylan Strom. I'm like not into either of them. Uh, at, like Kubalik had that great run last year, 30 goals in 68 games overall, an amazing first season. But like this deployment sucks. Like last year when he was scoring all those goals, he had, wrote a bit of a high shooting percentage and he was getting like top power play time, which he's somehow with all these, you know, <laughs> Taves is gone, Doc is gone. And yet still Kubalik can't get on the top power play. Obviously that could change, right? Chicago's losing against Florida today. So maybe if they lose this game, maybe they shake things up. But the way it's looking now, I'm probably close to being ready to recommending that you can stream out Dominic Kubalik, and I don't think you're going to regret it too much. In shallow leagues, easy. Absolutely. You can drop Kubalik. Uh, like, I, you know, I don't want to get too early on this snoozer train and make a big mistake. If you're in a deep enough league and the free agent pool is weak, yeah, you might want to hold on a little longer, but there's not a lot to love about Kubalik's situation. And... Like, if you want to look on the bright side, which is I'm uncharacteristically trying to do because I've never been a big Kubalik booster, you know, two games against Tampa isn't a fair way to get a sense of a player. Uh, but in another way, the gap between Chicago and any team they play this year is going to be pretty big. Uh, so there's that. I, I'm very worried about Kubalik without Taves and, of course, off the top power play. And also this mid-game tweet from tonight's game from Mark Lazarus. Uh, yes, I'm on Twitter while we record the show, just looking for news and notes as we go. Uh, but pro. Mark Lazarus wrote that after playing barely two minutes in the first period, Dominic Kubalik played five and a half minutes in the second period. And a little bonus tidbit here. Meanwhile, Adam Bokvist found himself stapled to the bench for most of that period, including on the power play, he played just four minutes. So uh, I Yikes. wonder if <laughs> Jeremy Calderton uh, having some quote unquote fun behind the bench in Chicago so far. And uh, that definitely makes me even more concerned about Kubalik than I was before the show happened. Like he's a guy that I would be ready to drop. I also purposely avoided him in drafts. So it's not much of a change of heart from me. But to hear you say it, Elon, means that I think most people should listen. Uh, if, for example, you're thinking of him uh, like versus Dadanov, I'm just trying to rank. I would rather drop Kubalik than Dadanov. Okay, yeah, I'm low on both of them. But I think I agree with you that I would drop Kubalik first if you have both of them. Unfortunate for you if you have both of them. Yeah, uh, I'm seeing so Chicago that Debrinket goal was on the power play. So this is by Kane and Duncan Keith. So you may be uh, wanting to consider Duncan Keith as potentially someone that's going to bump Bokvist. Uh, we'll have to see. It looks like things are going to be shaking up a lot in Chicago. They might have a really rough time this year. Uh, Pius Suter still no points, but he's getting like great deployment. So I don't know. Maybe worth a stream at some point. And that Carter Verhey goal, by the way, Elon, in case that really spiked his value, it actually went to Aaron Ekblad. I think it looked like it was off someone's, uh, off Verhey's stick, but oh. it was off like Duncan Keith's or something. So Aaron Ekblad gets credit for his first of the season. Yeah, I'm seeing that Ekblad, man. We knew he was going to be good going into the year when we saw he was getting top power play. And uh, yeah, it's going to be, 
It's going to be huge for Aaron Ekblad this year. If uh, you didn't get him, I don't know. Maybe now you could still trade for him for not that much. You know, people like, obviously he's rostered in all your leagues, but maybe right now people don't look at him as like a star, but I'm really excited for Ekblad this year. Especially because Keith Yandel ended up playing tonight when it looks like he wouldn't. And when it looks like he wouldn't, we were just so, so jacked about Ekblad. It's like, oh yeah, power play one, locked in. No one needs to worry about anything for Ekblad anymore. This is his moment. And uh, he's still on the top power play, but with Keith Yandel. But the fact that Keith Yandel's still in the picture might help temper Ekblad's value and give you uh, keep that window open for you to acquire Ekblad a little bit lower than we expect him to be valued at the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely agreed. There's been so much drama, right, with Yandel. Like, the story that I'm, like, seeing that I think is believable, but of, of course, who knows, is, like, maybe they threatened him. Like, if you don't agree to waive your no-trade clause, then we're going to bench you and ruin your Iron Man streak. So it's like they have this leverage over him. So maybe now they're going to play him, but in exchange, he might get traded, which could be good, by the way. Keith Yandel's value could go up. If he goes to a team like Boston, who doesn't really have a top power play quarterback, uh, that could be, like, amazing for Yandel. But if, you know, he could also be someone worth dropping. Like, I would add him right now, by the way, since he's playing anyways, and he might get traded. So that's Yandel, but I'm still, like, super high on Ekblad, because it seems like Yandel's time in Florida may be coming to an end. Though who knows? Maybe if they win this game, that's, like, the start of maybe the coaching staff deciding, okay, man. Maybe Yandel's not so bad, but also they're against Chicago, so you can't read into that. And getting the short end of the stick because of those two defensemen on the top power play, we should mention is Anthony Duclair, who uh, got bumped off the top unit that it looks like he was going to settle on. Hornqvist, though, holds his spot with Huberto and Barkov as the other forwards, obviously. Yeah, well, Hornqvist is great because he stands in front of the net. Like, he does a good job on the power play. There's a reason why he kept on holding it in Pittsburgh. Hornqvist is great. Uh, I got him in the couple also, and I'm glad. He's also playing, by the way, on a line with Huberdeau. So Barkov and Huberdeau have been split up. And so Barkov's playing, like I said, for Hagi and Duclair, and then Huberdeau with Wenberg centering and Hornqvist. So, yeah, lots of potential value also on uh, Florida. Also in net, right? Bobrovsky's injured. Chris Dreiger playing today. He had a great time last year, but obviously Bob might be back soon. So maybe we'll talk about the Florida goalie situation in a little while once Bob comes back and we see how he does. Uh, Brian, okay, I guess that's pretty good for like the deep dive analyses, or I guess if you could call that, because obviously uh, we still haven't had too much to dive deep into, but I still have like a bit of a lightning round here. A bunch of players I want to bring up. I see you have a bunch of players you want to bring up as well. Would you want to just like take turns bringing up some players that have caught our eye before we end the show? Sure. And just to clarify, caught our eye for reasons good and bad. Yes, definitely. Uh, either this person is a snoozer or this person is a sleeper. So I'll start. Uh, Max Comtois over on Anaheim. He's scored three goals in two games so far, playing on his line with Sam Steele and Troy Terry. Uh, so only four shots. That's a 75% shooting percentage. So not so excited. But obviously we have to mention him as someone who has as many goals as Phil Kessel this year. Uh, have you considered adding Maxime Comtois to any of your teams? Or do you think this is for sure like something that's not sustainable? I feel like it, it's pretty short term. I remember at the start of last season, he had this little run. And it also came with one game against Vegas where he had four points in four games, uh, two shots and two assists and then did nothing more after that Uh, maybe his deployment this year is going to be a little better than the situation he was in last year but it's still uh, like you know playing with Sam Steele and Troy Terry could one day be a good thing at this point it's uh, not also this means like I'm pretty sure Anaheim scored three goals total right against Vegas has anyone else on Anaheim scored this year that is a good question and I'll look that up while you bring up your next player Okay, uh, the next player I was going to bring up, and the reason I clarified for good reasons or bad, is Jeff Skinner. 
I'm just saying if anyone took a flyer on him in your draft, he's seeing even less ice time, even worse deployment than he was last season. He is not worth holding on to. This is just a little reminder that Jeff Skinner, until further notice, is not rosterable. Yeah, and by the way, you're right. Uh, Comtois has scored all three goals for Anaheim, and I also agree that Jeff Skinner stinks. Like, don't roster him. It's not worth it. He's on the fourth line. Come on. Get it. And Ryan, Sam Reinhardt, by the way, news came out that Reinhardt is injured and might miss some times. And the Buffalo Sabres, like, had a practice today. I'm going to look at their practice lines right now on gamedaylinetweets.com. And yep, Skinner still can't get into the top six. Uh, Casey Middlestat actually skating with Hall and Eichel at practice today. And then Dylan Cousins has moved up to the second line to play with Victor Olafson and Eric Stahl. So, uh, kind of exciting for Middlestat and Cousins. I haven't seen anything about the power play yet, so I'm very curious to see who gets Reinhardt's spot there. But I'd imagine it'll either be Stahl or Cousins or Middlestat. And whichever one it is, I'm into, at least for the next game. And also I'm into, like, Cousins. I'm more into Cousins than Middlestat just because I'm worried that Middlestat might not be good. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm Interesting situations, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a- another example from this episode uh, that you would add middle st- I guess you would take Jeff Carter over Casey Middlestat, right? Yeah. Yeah, me too. But I uh, might be into Dylan Cousins, right? Like, he's going to be a really good player in the league, it seems. He had a good WJC, and uh, now he's nice. already worked his way into the top six after like, a couple games on the third line. Look at him. Way to go. Uh, okay. I'll my talk about someone. I think it's my turn. Go for it. Because you, you took Middlestat. So I'm <laughs> going to mention Nino Niederreiter who remains on Carolina's top line is just as long as he's there, I'm going to mention him. And he scored one of the Canes first goals of the season, one goal on seven shots through two games played. Also seeing uh, like power play two time. He's actually averaging more time on ice this season so far than any other point in his career. So uh, look, I'm not going to get overly excited about it. I'm just going to say as a stream, Still a half-decent option, for sure, to get somebody playing on the top line in Carolina. And Carolina's schedule next week, they start with Monday and Tuesday against Nashville, and then they get Florida twice later in the week. Yeah, so they might be one of the first teams testing out Sergei Bobrovsky. So that could be interesting, maybe good, maybe bad. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm with you for Niederreiter. Like, he's definitely a stream at this point while he's playing with Aho. By the way, I should point out that, uh, remember how on our episode with the Fantasy Hockey Podcast guys, I said that, like, I see f- fame, I see fire, I see Nino Niederreiter or something? Like, I got fuel. that. I didn't... I fuel, yeah. Fuel. I didn't make that up. I saw I that... Like, on- give me fuel. You totally botched the line that you made. I didn't make it. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, uh, it was Sarah Sivian who tweeted that, like, a while ago, and I thought it was funny. And then I just saw recently she tweeted that after Nino Niederreiter scored a goal, and then someone responded, being like, Keeping Carlson came up with that. So I just want you to know, and that's how I know, because I saw we got tagged. Uh, we did, I didn't make that up. I stole that from her, just FYI. Uh, not that this like, this amazing thing that uh, I need to make sure the credit goes to the right person. Okay. Uh, where My turn. Let's go to San Jose. Another one of these, like, deep guys. Like, I guess similar to a Sharangovich over in New Jersey. I'm looking at John Leonard over in San Jose, who's been playing on a line with Evander Kane and Tomas Hurdle, who, by the way, Kane and Hurdle having a great start to the oh, year. Yeah. I own them both on my Cupful team. Feels good. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, I have Hurdle with uh, Matthew in our Dynasty League. We're loving that. Kane, there was all that drama that he might, like, skip the season, and then he comes out and, like, has, like, one of his best season starts. So uh, hopefully that can continue for him. And then John Leonard, he's a guy. 
who apparently <laughs> had a good year last year in college, and now he's in the NHL playing on this good line. He had two assists in the first game versus Arizona, nothing in game two. So he's like definitely not like a long-term hold. Like who knows if he even holds this spot in the lineup. But for now, if you need a stream, like John Leonard's right there, top line. Or I guess second line, right? Couture is probably the top line. John Leonard is one of those guys who has two first names. Uh, in addition to that, he is also someone worth keeping an eye on. We didn't actually know his first name until like earlier this week. I just kept seeing Leonard mentioned on uh, in the in the Sharks line combinations that were getting tweeted. I was like, okay, Leonard, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. But the Hobie Baker nominee is off to a good start. He had a pretty good college career, sixth round pick of the San Jose Sharks from back in 2018. One of those 2018 draft class debuts we were talking about earlier. So uh, I'm curious, so long as he's on a line with Hurdle and Kane who are clicking. And uh, the good news for him is there is not a lot of intra-squad competition. So, so long as he keeps doing what he's doing, uh, he should be able to hang there, which is very nice. Uh, somebody else who's getting good deployment, who's caught my eye early this season but who has not yet hit the score sheet, so is probably still available in your leagues, is Adrian Kempe, who has zero points so far, but six shots, two hits, and two blocks, and is playing on the top power play, which is a really nice little bonus. I don't know uh, how many of us remember Adrian Kempe's really fantastically solid run towards the end of last season. In fact, I believe He's one of the reasons that short shifts Lewis Ezekiel uh, ended up in Tier 1, thanks to Adrian Kempe's hot hand towards the end of the season. At even strength, not on a very exciting line, playing with Austin Wagner and Gabriel Velarde, but I like that top power play deployment, and I like those peripherals, even if the points aren't coming yet. Yeah, I'll bet you that 50% of the people listening have no don't idea. Care. Like, no, I'm saying they don't <laughs> even know what team this player is. Because you've oh. mentioned Adrian Campe, you've mentioned Gabe Velarde and Wagner. Yeah. Uh, you, you didn't even mention he's on the LA Kings. So that's yeah. the team he's on. And yeah, top power play with Kopitar, Brown, I follow Dowdy. That's good. Uh, boring lines. Yeah, he's like, to me, he screams like streamer like potentially but i mean i would would you who so who do you like better jeff carter who's not on the top power play and also on a crappy line let's be real <laughs> like i guess it's yeah. a second line versus third line but it's with lazad and nothing to see you or or campe like i guess do you go carter because he's been taking shots i think i would even though campe's on the top power play this power play is not that great let's be real uh, yeah, it's not great, but they still have a one-man advantage when they're on the ice. And Kempe is still taking shots. He's taking, he's got six shots after two games, which is fewer than Jeff Carter, but it's the same pace that Jeff Carter has had over the last few seasons. So I would kind of say, uh, Kempe's like the off-brand Jeff Carter <laughs> at the moment, just in terms of, of hype. But if I had to pick one guy that I had to commit to the rest of the season, wow. honestly, like, if his hits <laughs> and blocks are counted and valued in my format, I'd go Kempe. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to make you answer you hate that. that take. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I don't hate the take. I'm just saying, like, obviously, you're not going to like have to pick a guy that you have to like keep the whole season. I'm talking about yeah. like, for like next week. <laughs> and, yeah, and I would take there. Carter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go to another top line player who hasn't done anything yet. Uh, Mikhail Grigorenko over on Columbus. He's been playing on the top line with Dubois and Bjorkstrand. If you recall, all summer long, I was excited about Alexandre Texier getting that spot. Uh, so and far, Emil been- Bemstrom. And Emil Bemstrom potentially being on the second line. Texier actually had a goal and assist in the last game. Like, Texier's been better, even though he's been in the bottom six, which makes me wonder if he might bump Grigorenko soon because Columbus has lost their first two games against Nashville, 3-1 to one and 5-2. to two. Seems like Tortorella's not happy. So I wouldn't be surprised to see things getting shaken up at some point. There's also all this drama with Dubois wanting to get traded, so we'll see what happens there. Kind of like Columbus and Florida right now, the places with the most uh, drama. Anyway, if Grigorenko stays on the top line, 
definitely someone to consider streaming because we'd assume Dubois and Bjorkstrand will start getting on the score sheet soon and they could bring Gugarenko with them. Uh, and also, if the lines change, watch and see who gets there. And if it's Texier, it might be time to stream him in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Grigorenko was somebody I remember was added, like uh, one of the most popular added players in the Kakupful, which, by the way, has its own Twitter account now, at KKUPFL, and our amazing, amazing, I don't know what to call him, like godsend Kevin Hebert, uh, who's a listener and patron and like super helper, uh, has actually rigged that Twitter account and it's going to debut very shortly to tweet out the top ads and drops from the cupful every single day. So like, who are the three most added players amongst the brilliant managers in the cupful? Who are the three most dropped players? Who are the most expensive players in terms of fab? Uh, so Mikhail Grigorenko ranked at the top of that list one day. And I was just like, why? And like, I get why. Like somebody's like, well, top line Columbus and like, he could be good. I'm like, yeah, I know. But like, why? It just seemed like a big reaction. I would be very curious to see. I mean, honestly, if Texier is playing well on another line, I don't see why they put him on the first line. That probably works to everyone's benefit to have Texier producing from another line. But Grigorenko has been in the league a, a while. He's already 26, uh, has never gotten a huge deployment, has never done a whole lot with it. So um, yeah, maybe he could get some points by osmosis on that top line in Columbus. At the same time, uh, the top line in Columbus isn't even that offensive. So that is why I'm so uh, not terribly in to Mikhail Gregorenko. Someone yeah. who I'm... Oh, sorry, Wait, go ahead. I'll just respond quickly. Uh, I think the reason why might be he had like a good inter-squad game. Like right before the season started, I think he had like a four-point game when they were doing like the red team versus blue team. <laughs> the, only, the only thing that beats preseason hype is intra-squad preseason <laughs> hype. Yeah, uh, it's pretty wild over in Columbus. I guess, like, when you say, like, why would they move Texier if he's already producing on the third line? Like, if they want to shake it up because they've lost two games, they got to put someone on the top line. So, you know, got to pick yeah. someone. Yeah. Someone shared, Elon, maybe you can credit them properly in our Discord server. It might have been Go Hollywood uh, who shared this tidbit about Columbus playing a different style like trying to play a different style this year than they have in years past. That means that they're a little less defensively together (laughs) while they make this adjustment. And that's why uh, they've given up so many goals for anyone worried about their goalies. Do you remember this? No, uh, like Danny always drops good takes, but like, why would they do that? (laughs) Columbus has been great. (laughs) Just do what you've been doing and that'll work for you. By the way, you brought up the Keeping Cards Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League and all these stats. We got to give a shout out also to Marcus and John Newhold, who are like the three of them, Kevin, Marcus, and John. They're like working on some amazing, if you're in the Keeping Cards Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, get ready for like more data than you maybe need or didn't know you needed, I should say. Like there's going to be this like stat attack spreadsheet, like talking about all like, you know, I love, by the way, the a couple percentage owned stat that we'll start referencing on future shows because i think that's more useful than yahoo's percent like rostered because this is like you know percent owned in like leagues of good players as opposed to on yahoo where there's a lot of players who you know aren't rostered for like dumb like ekblad isn't owned like obviously ekblad is going to be on everyone's roster in the cupful so all that data is coming plus we're gonna have a podcast about the different couple divisions it's gonna be wild anyways i'm promoting a league that's already full and like so i don't really know why but it's very exciting if you're in it stay tuned uh but anyways okay let's go to the next guy oh i brought up grigorenko so i guess it's your turn brian go ahead Oh, thanks, Elon. Okay, uh, I'm going to go to the new Andre Kasha, or should I say the new Jack Studnika. It's Jake Zabrusk getting a turn at the top 
right wing position in Boston. Actually, Krejci was up there very briefly in the game that Kasha got injured, but the latest line rushes I saw had Jake DeBrusque up there. Uh, by the way, Andre Kasha already injured. What a bummer. Poor guy. Uh, but yeah, Jake DeBrusque has done nothing so far this season as we anticipated he would. Uh, he's 24. I just, like, I don't know. If you were streaming in Stadnika and going by what I saw in the Kukupful and Yahoo trends, a lot of you were, then you might want to take a peek at Jake DeBrusque. Meanwhile, I, as a David Krejci owner, are bummed. I mean, it's not such a big blow to lose DeBrusque, but now Krejci is playing with Nick Ritchie and Studnika, uh, the last line combo said, and that's not exciting at all. Like, David Krejci's amazing, but he's not a magician. Yeah, uh, like, he's on top power play, at least. Yeah, definitely Boston needs Pasternak back. That'll help. Uh, and then maybe they'll be able to do better against teams like the New Jersey Devils. But that said, yeah, like Jake DeBrusque in a good spot. So why not stream him in for now? Obviously, it's not a long-term thing because Pasternak will come back and everything will get back to normal soon enough. Uh, I'll just mention a couple guys quickly because they've already been mentioned a lot last week in the great short shifts episodes that Ben and Lewis put out. So we have Dominic Cahoon, who has started the year on Edmonton playing with Leon Dreisaitl and Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, he had a, an assist in the first game. It was like, oh yeah, Dominic Cahoon. I actually added him in the cup and was super excited about it. I've already dropped him, to be honest, because the next two games he hasn't done much. He's taken some shots, actually three and four shots in the latest two games but like i really got concerned about how his like ice time has been down and even in that second game that edmonton played against vancouver like at some points edmonton just decided to put mcdavid dry and yamamoto together just to try to get some offense going and it worked so i just i don't know like obviously Cahoon, if he's still skating with dry then he's worth a stream anytime but he's not the kind of person that like at first i was excited that maybe he could be like a season long guy because you know he and and dry apparently have this like great chemistry and they know each other from before but uh, i i don't know i don't get the vibe that Cahoon's going to be like locked on that line and have like a ton of success. I think he's like a good stream, but he's also someone that I think could be a good stream out if you have another person that you're excited for. Or like Edmonton, for example, plays, I think, to end this week on Friday and Sunday, which are very busy days, which is a strange thing for this week, but that's how it is. So like if you're going to be benching Cahoon anyways, maybe you just like drop him and pick up someone else. That's my advice. Okay, then the other guy who Ben and Lewis talked about a lot is Nils Hoglander over on Vancouver because of course JT Miller. Well, first of all, we were I was into Hoglander even before before the JT Miller uh, COVID news came out because he's playing on the second line with Bo Horvat. And we saw last year, Tanner Pearson was like a really solid guy in fantasy playing with Horvat. So why not get the guy? And Hoglander's obviously a nice prospect. So yeah, I was into him. But then of course, then Miller with Miller out, Hoglander got on the top power play. Then because Jake Vertanen uh, couldn't, hack it hoglander even got on the line with Pedersen and besser for a bit so you know that made him a a must add uh the latest news though is that jt miller has like flown back to vancouver and he may play like as soon as tomorrow for the canucks so that would mean that i guess i'd assume hoglander goes back to just being a second line winger which is still i think decent but not amazing and maybe loses the top power play Uh, i would still hold on because he's been playing like big minutes it seems like the canucks have been like depending on him it's not like cahoon who was playing like 14 13 minutes in a couple of games like hoglander's been getting the big ice time and so i would hold on but yes there's something to keep in mind uh, i do wonder brian i threw this take at you tell me if this is crazy last year if you recall brock besser at some point got bumped well for there was a small stretch where he even got bumped from the top line but then he even got bumped from the top power play once to came in so it's happened before it could happen again maybe hoglander could be this year's to and bump besser so hoglander someone i'm definitely holding for now and i'm really curious to see how the season's going to play out with him and the top six in vancouver I mean, I could see his 
percent rostered numbers drop pretty big once the news that JT Miller comes back really filters out. It was just announced like a couple hours ago as of the time of this recording. Uh, but I appreciate your faith in Niels Hoglander. And yeah, maybe if the Canucks considered that top line experiment successful, uh, that is reason to consider the fact that they might try it again, even with uh, everybody healthy. So I think it's something to keep an eye on. If Brock Besser could get bumped last year, no reason to think he can't get bumped again this year. Not that any Besser owner should panic, but it was also a red flag, like in my drafts, to sort of bump Besser down a few spots on my draft list. And sure enough, I didn't. Uh, end up with him in any of my rosters. Okay, I'll quickly name a couple remaining names. First off, I don't need to name this guy. You guys already know, especially because of the short shifts episodes too. Alexander Romanov just crushing it. Six shots, six hits, six blocks, plus one assist over his first couple games of NHL action. It's a really great start. And he's one of those defensemen, like every year, there are, you know, you get to the bottom of your D and you're just like, oh, like this is so thin and everybody remaining is just such garbage. But there's like a few guys who just rise up and end up being full season roster role guys. Romanov looks like one of those people. And if you don't have him already, it might be too late or your league might not be deep enough. But at least I want to give him some kudos for doing what he's done. I also want to mention the leading scorer on the Pittsburgh Penguins through three games. Elon, can you guess who that is? I don't know, like Evan Rodriguez is going to be someone (laughs) random. Uh, He's on the score sheet, Elon, with a point, unlike Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang, who are 0 for 3 so far this season. Uh, It's Brandon Tanev with two goals and one assist. But the reason I'm bringing him up, 21 hits. And this is just a reminder that he is really fantastic in hits leagues. Last year, he put up a 30-point pace and had some runs where like, he put up a slightly better pace than that. I'm not saying you should expect a really great season from him, but he could be like a Tom Wilson light kind of thing. Or maybe Tom Wilson, but you turn the slider down on scoring and you turn it up on hits. And then you end up with Brandon Tanev. <laughs> and then the other guy I will mention to close out my end of the show is just Tomasz Grice who started his career in Detroit so, so strongly. I should say his run in Detroit. His career has long started. Uh, but he stopped 38 of 40 shots against Carolina. And in the same vein that we were talking about Matt Murray earlier this episode, there is opportunity for Grice to be a volume starter. Not as much. I agree with you, Elon. I know you, you think Bernie is going to get more of a timeshare. Like, okay, Hopper. I'll let you, I'll respond later. Okay, Finish I'm, I'm with you there. But Tomas Grice, when he starts for Detroit... Could be really great. Again, like Matt Murray, he just needs to be average. And the amount of pucks he'll see should give him decent numbers. And if your league count saves, he'll be super valuable that way. I just feel like you're kind of like got this idea in your head that and you like don't want to like consider it. Like I, there's no evidence to me anywhere that Grice is go, is the starter. I think that they're a 50-50 tandem. So, well, Grice got the opening night start. The way I've seen starts hand out, handed out so far... Mm-hmm. Is, is that the opening night starter seems to be the one the teams are leaning towards giving the bulk of the starts to. And I'll also mention, Detroit also had Jonathan Bernier. I don't think they brought in Grice. I don't know. Like, I don't see Bernier getting any more games than he has in the past. I just feel like this is, I'm not saying it's a number one, number two situation, but I don't think it's 50-50. I think Grice <laughs> is 1A. 
I just have like so many responses. First of all, you have to if if it, if it is a tandem situation, they still have to give a goalie the first game. <laughs> okay, so like I don't know how that's evidence. Also, Bernier did play a ton of games last year. So when you're saying you don't see Bernier getting more starts, yeah, like he was the starter and was a volume starter last year for Detroit because Jimmy Howard was terrible. Second of all, like they didn't play a back to back this week. Bernier got the start on Saturday when they could have played Grice again, and Bernier was great. Also, he stopped twenty nine of thirty one shots and got the win against okay. Carolina. So I'll extend it to both Detroit goalies. I just think the thirty out the thirty eight out of forty save performance caught my eye more than the twenty nine out of thirty one. <laughs> but yes, they're both good and both considered like you know if you need a spot start and uh, you're way behind and you're. Like, if you've already, especially if you've already punted save percentage for the week, you could do worse than grab a Detroit goalie to grab some saves and maybe some good numbers to go along with it. Yeah, I won't disagree with that, but I definitely wouldn't compare Grice to Murray because Murray is clearly going to be a volume starter. He played a back-to-back and Grice couldn't even get two games that weren't back-to-back. But we'll see what happens. We'll Uh, see. Uh, And I also wanted to respond to a couple other guys you brought up. Uh, So Romanov, yeah, he could be a gem. I will point out, though, just as a counterpoint, he saw a ton of minutes in that first game against Toronto. He played... Uh, I'm seeing 21 minutes and 30 seconds, then only 15 minutes and 49 seconds in the second game. So I don't know, like he still had good like peripherals in that second game. He didn't get a point, but he had three shots and like five hits and two blocks. So that's great. But obviously if he's going to be more of like a third pairing, like 15 to 17 minute guy, then I'd put him in that Ty Smith category, maybe with more peripherals. But of course, if he could be like what he was in the first game and be a 20 plus minute defenseman, that's a whole other story. So I'm still kind of watching Romanov, but if he was available in any of my leagues, I would grab him. I missed him in all my leagues. So I'm a little bummed about that uh one last piece of news i'll throw at you and then we can send everybody home uh some interesting line combinations out of st louis today where mike hoffman seems to have been bumped down the lineup he only played one game so far this year i like i don't know not, not too spectacular like no points only two shots in his debut on friday and that was like a terrible game for st louis they got totally destroyed by colorado and i guess they decided they need to shake things up and it looks like mike hoffman is the one that's taking the brunt of it because today in practice, uh, the Blues are going with Zach Sanford, O'Reilly, and Perron. And then Schwartz with Shen and Jordan Cairo. Then Hoffman playing with Rob Thomas and Tyler Bozak, which I guess is the third line. Which, by the way, also Robert Thomas was someone who we thought was going to be in the top six. That's already changed. Plus, uh, Lou Korak tweeted out the power play units. Krug, Perron, Shen, O'Reilly, Schwartz on PP1, bumping Hoffman down to the second power play. So... Same for Robert Thomas, by the way. So I guess I, I was planning on this to be a, a Hoffman segment, but Hoffman and Tom, well, Thomas, I think you could just drop now because we were excited about him in the top six, but not even that much. So forget about Robert Thomas if you drafted him, in my opinion. And Mike Hoffman, I mean, you can't drop him, obviously, but not a great, not a great sign. And I guess maybe you could say it's a buy low opportunity if people are like overreacting to line combos after one blowout game. But uh, yeah, not, not what I was expecting to happen. I thought Hoffman was going to be a top six, top power play guy for sure. Hoffman seems like a decent buy low at this point. Robert Thomas, yeah, he's someone you could take or leave because he doesn't do a whole lot, especially if he doesn't put anything on the score sheet. And I am surprised we haven't heard more Oscar Sunkvist questions uh, after his two-goal performance in the opener on four shots, a few hits, four blocks, lots of penalty kill time, but not somebody you want to roster on a regular basis either. So uh, St. Louis, I don't know. Yeah, of course, there's going to be this big overreaction after the shelling they experienced at the hands of the Colorado Avalanche. But honestly, give it one or two games, and I expect everything to be shuffled back to the way it was. Well, 
I don't know. I mean, the thing is, when you say the way it was, like, that's always why, and I've been saying it over the summer, right? I'm always a little bit more concerned about players in new situations because there is no the way it was. Like, Mike Hoffman has never been on the Blues. True. And maybe he's not going to be... Like, those are four really good forwards on that top power play, right? Perron, Shen, O'Reilly, and Schwartz aren't nobodies, so maybe there they're There might happy not be room to, for yeah. him. Absolutely. Like, he could be a ringer brought in for the second unit or just if somebody gets injured. You're right. Not a guarantee, and, uh, like, I'd poke around to see what it costs to acquire him. Uh, but, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't give up a ton. And I also, I'm trying to decide, if you owned Mike Hoffman, Elon, what would you be doing? I mean, I'd hold. Yeah. And uh, I'm not a big trader anyway, so it's not as if I'm going to be trying to, like, I'm not, like, you know, Tristan Jari, I was like, try to dump him. Uh, Hoffman, I'll just hold and hope things change. Hopefully, even from, like, the third line. Well, I don't know if he's third line and second power play. He's actually probably not going to be that good, but he does take a lot of shots. And yeah, I'd hold and hope for the best, but obviously I'd be a little bit concerned. Uh, Brian, I saw in the chat here, you were just chatting with uh, Joey, who pointed out that Josh Morrissey has been skating on the top power play in Winnipeg ahead of Neil Pionk. So yeah, that's something so- to watch. I just heard this now. Yeah, me too. I hadn't seen it. So I went to look uh, on Frozen Pool to see what the last the line combos were. And it looks like the forward group like changed barely, like Shifley and... Wait, no, but forget about that. I've got a tweet here. Like, oh. that's what the good thing is about the game day line tweets is we don't need to just look at the game. We can look at the latest practice lines, which, yeah, have Josh Morrissey practicing on the top power play. Shifley, Morrissey, Connor, Stasny, Wheeler... And then, uh, whatever, other people, including Neil <laughs> Pionk on the second power play. Uh, Ehlers, I guess, was away, because Ehlers isn't on either in this tweet by Ken Weeb. But yeah, this is yeah, from January 17th. Thing with him. So, uh, b- very concerning. for. I mean, Morrissey going into last year is the guy we thought was going to be on the top power play. Then I guess, whatever, like, Neil Pionk, like, really impressed, and he did really well there, but... Like, Morrissey has been, like, their defenseman that was slotted in for a while to be the next guy once Dustin Bufflin was gone and Truba was gone, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, this would definitely concern me as a Pionk owner because he's great for peripherals. But, uh, yeah, if Morrissey's available, I'm going to actually go check in all my leagues right now and see if Morrissey's available. Winnipeg, by the way, five games next week. So, if Morrissey's oh. available, just grab him now. Get those first few games and you can always reassess. And worst case, you have a Josh Morrissey for five games that's not on the top power play but still is giving you decent numbers just because of the volume. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, we talked about this possibility of Josh Morrissey fulfilling his offensive potential someday and getting time on that top power play unit. I wouldn't have expected it to happen by the second game of the season, but here we are. Uh, I don't know. We'll see if that lasts into the next. Like, I guess it's a thing for now. So that's just something to keep our eye on. And yeah, Winnipeg, five games next week. Toronto, Ottawa, 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 Edmonton. Five games in the North is usually a good five games for production. Yeah, for sure. So grab any Jets that you can. Wow. So yeah, but the, again, the, like, we're not going to overreact. Like, I'm not overreacting to the Hoffman. I'm not no. overreacting to the Winnipeg no. Lions. Let's give it another week. But definitely something to keep... I mean, I will overreact in terms of like adding Josh Morrissey if he's available. Yeah. That's the, the one thing I'll do. Brian, this has been a blast. We haven't covered like every team and every player in the league, but I think we've done a pretty good job doing a sweep. I'm really excited for the slate of shows we have for people coming up over the next seven days. First of all, like I said, you can go right now and get the stream scheme episode from Dave that he dropped uh, on Sunday the 17th to help you plan out your week for next week. Then we're going to have Ben and Lewis back with two great short shifts episodes coming up. And then Brian, you and I will be back at it next Sunday to give a full deep 
breakdown of everything going on in the league. I'm so happy to be back in the saddle and doing a little less speculating and a little more just like talking about what happened. Obviously, we're still speculating a little bit. Next week, it'll be we'll even have more data and we'll be able to start being a little more confident in what we've seen. Uh, but yeah, great job, sir. Thanks everyone so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. Get in on all this good stuff. Like we said, we've got new friends at Blue Wire who are now hosting the show. We're super stoked about it. We want them to uh, feel good about us. So we would love for you to subscribe to the show. Make sure you're downloading every episode and we're going to do our best to make it worth your while with giving you primo content every single time. Uh, also, please uh, follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. You feel free to ask us any advice questions that you have on Twitter. We're happy to help. But if you really want to get a lot of good help from Brian, myself, and a lot of smart people, then we would implore you to consider becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson over at KeepingCarlson.com slash patron for just $5 a month. We're giving you the, the everything in the kitchen sink, right? Everything that we can come up with, uh, including access to our discord group which is popping and we've got some really cool stuff going on in there you definitely want to check it out including uh on saturday ryan mclaughlin and colin plomp uh did this like sit start saturday show on the discord server which i listened to for a bit it was like so much fun just like answering people's sit start questions like fun stuff like that going on all the time on discord uh plus brian we've got a patron cast coming brian are you ready to get, get back in the podcast studio this wednesday we're going to be answering the patrons questions so not too late to sign up for a patron get your questions in for the patron cast and you can watch that live a private show just for the patrons uh discord it's all happening keepingcarlson.com slash patron but with that i am ready to cue the outro music and brian why don't you go ahead and read the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons logo art by brandon weeb outro music by pat roach research with help from dauber hockey frozen pool dauber prospects Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Vids, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Awesome, Brian. This was so much fun. Can't wait to do it all again next week and on Wednesday for the Patreon cast. Until then, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>